Hello and welcome back to the ring. I, of course, am your host, the one and only Dr. B.O.B. And with me again this week is the consigliere of the Dr. Bob family practice. The man who can get you off the hook if you've hit a, if you've hit a dog with a door or maybe you just bit somebody in an altercation. It, he'll let you know what you need to do and who you need to call the one and only Rob the Lawyer. How are you today, Rob? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I can't complain. I was just watching. I just spent like 10, 15 minutes watching commercials from 1989 from my local television station when I was a kid. So why? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I was looking for this particular commercial that uh, um, that used to air all the time and I couldn't find it. But then I ran across this. Uh, it's commercials from uh, the holiday season from uh, uh like that was during the prime time uh movie of the week or whatever and i just yeah. i got i got sucked in by uh by the i guess nostalgia of it all so anyway <laughs> it was something else uh speaking of something else this week starcade 86 night of the skywalkers um this is uh this is one i've been wanting to redo since uh, the last host that uh, w- that we had here at Back to the Ring had to uh, be, uh, uh, we had to separate, we'll put it that way. And uh, so I wanted to go back and do this since we just finished up 1986. And this is a good, because uh, you came in pretty much close after Starcade, right? If I remember correctly? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this is... This will be right before you started coming in. Most of these, some of these matches didn't have much buildup, but uh, um, some of them did. Uh, they were in, uh, this one was unique. They were in two locations. They were in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Atlanta, Georgia. At the Greensboro location, we had Bob Cottle and Johnny Weaver on commentary. In Atlanta, we had Tony, and I didn't catch the other guy's name, a local radio host, I believe. But, um, that was, hey, that's why he did not look familiar when I saw him. I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, I'd never seen him before, and I don't think I ever saw him again since. But uh, so One night off. He was there with uh, with Tony and, of course, Bob Cottle. No, uh, no uh, Gordon Sully, though, which uh, is, I hate to say, that he makes the Starcade 83 broadcast is still one of my favorites because Gordon Sully and Bob Cottle were, were a great team. But... Um, Oh, well, can't uh, dwell on the past, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, like Gordon Soley was one of the best announcers I heard at the time. I mean, I think he's I think he ranks high up there. If he's not, you know, if he's not in the top five, he's in my top five easily. Oh, yeah. I I said earlier on Twitter today, he's my all time favorite just because the way he treats it as as a sport. Yeah. Like a legitimate, a like a legitimate sport. Like there's no wink, wink, nudge, nudge in Gordon Sully. He is 100% playing it completely straight, and uh, it really comes through. And it makes it makes everything that happens that much more believable. Like they said uh, in the uh, the tales from the territories, people are going to believe until you give them a reason not to. So. He uh, he definitely made it believable. But the uh, the opening match uh, we had Tim Horner and Nelson Royal versus Don and Rocky Cronodal. 
they said Don and Rocky were brothers, but they looked more like father and son. So either there was a very large age difference there, or um, maybe it was just a uh, a mentor underling uh, type of thing too. It could have been, you know, oh, he's, you know, he's really my, you know, I'm his like mentor or I'm taking him under my wing. And so we're giving him the chronotal name and we'll say we're brothers, but we're really not. True. I mean, it could be like, I mean, the Andersons weren't related. Yeah, exactly. So maybe that was, maybe that was the thing back then. But at the same time, I mean, people in the eighties aged differently than people today. But, um, so let's see uh, this. I didn't write a whole lot down for this match. I said it was better than the usual opening match. Uh, Don and Rocky Cronodal looked really good in the ring. And, uh, Tim Horner wins by uh, reversing a sunset, a sunset flip. That's pretty much all I got for it. I gave it a C plus cause it was, you know, it was, it was decent. It wasn't like insulting or anything, but it wasn't a particularly a barn burner or anything. What did you think? I gave it a C. Um, I questioned why it was a opening match. Um, <clears throat> I thought the next match was far better, but given the outcome, I understand. Yeah. The one thing I really liked about that this match and what I noticed throughout the nights, and I think we've talked about it a few times, they made everything look real. Mm-hmm. Like, say what you want about Tim Horner. I know he's, you know, weird. Uh, I don't want to say weird, but, you know, I know he's um, an interesting guy backstage with his own beliefs we've talked about like how he was um thought he was gonna be an owner of smoky mountain i think at one point or something like yeah. that right yeah yeah um, so i don't know where his head's at but i mean when you look when he, when he threw that first body slam yeah. he's struggling to pick him up mm-hmm. and one of the chronodals are you know they're struggling to take the move they're not like they're, they're putting up a fight yeah and they're not just sitting there being like okay you're gonna scoop me and i'm just gonna take it Oh yeah. No, they're yeah. they're literally like trying to fight out of these holes and moves, so it makes it look much more authentic. It makes it look so, like a struggle, like yeah, a contest. A and you really see that in the next match. Yeah. But in this one, it's and you know it's it's really interesting how they were able to to work around it. The, the part that was killing me though is, what was with those ropes? Oh, with the uh, what do you mean? Like when they were bouncing off them, it sounded so weird. I don't know if it was on my TV or what, but the audio coming from the bounce from the bouncing off the ropes, it sounded just like it was like sounding like kendo sticks being yeah. smacked up against each other. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I I don't exactly know. It might have been because you know in everywhere else except for WWE, they used airplane cable with uh, tubing around it. Yeah. All I can think of is maybe the tubing was a little loose on that. The, the airplane yeah. cable and it was knocking up against the cable when they would hit it. And that's how it would make that sound. But yeah, I, I noticed that too. It was, it was annoying me. And I, I felt like I saw that in every of the, uh, you know, every match in that arena. Yeah, you did. Uh, it, <clears throat> I got used to it after a while. It didn't bother me or I didn't notice it as much, but yeah, the, the first couple matches in, uh, that was the one that was in Greensboro, right? Yeah. That I think didn't so. have the, the, uh, the scaffold set up. Right. Yeah. I don't know which city that was, but it's the one without the scaffold. Yeah, that that was the Greensboro location because that was Bob yeah. Cottle and Johnny Weaver, and yeah. who were. I mean, it didn't it didn't take away from the match. Oh no! It was just what I'm, you know. It was just irking me. I, I, I can't think of a better word for it. Yeah. What, what is the this thing sound? I do like, one, speaking of sounds, the one thing I really like is like you can't beat a like 
this ring in terms of the, the, the impact of the moves. Yeah. It just sounded, it, it sounded like every move, every slam hurt mm-hmm. or should hurt. Today's product, it's, you know, it's, it's almost, it's almost like an artificial sound you're hearing, but this one, it really sounds like you're being slammed on plywood. Oh yeah. Because it is. Yeah. I mean, well, there's no, there's, there's very little give if, if any. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I, I don't know. I just, I remember growing up listening to that sound and it was just, it, it made, it made the matches. I well, mean, it was probably horrible for their backs. Well, what's funny about it is these rings are actually, um, well, the WWE rings today are a lot, have a lot more give than the ones in yeah. the 80s did. Um, yeah. But these ones are probably actually have about as much give as the ones in the 80s did or as the ones now in WWE did. I think it was the way that they were mic'd, to be honest with you. That could have um, been the two. Because it's, you know, because uh, Cornette talks about this sometimes, how he pushed and pushed and pushed to have the rings uh, set up differently, like the way they were in most of the territories. Because the WWE rings used to be really, really hard. Like, mm-hmm. it's like super hard. These have a lot more give to them than you. I mean, as much give as you can, because it is, you know, it's just what two by twelves or two by eights, you know, yeah. across a, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, across the ring, and then covered with uh, canvas, covered with a very, very thin sheet of foam, and then more canvas. So, um, yeah, but it was uh, overall the so, but the match itself was it was decent, you know. Yeah, I think it was a pretty. It was better than most opening matches. The Starcades tend to, because in those days, the first match was usually happened while people were still kind of coming in mm-hmm. or getting their popcorn or whatever. So the real, like, the matches you really wanted to see didn't start till into the pay per view. Of course, this yeah. being a big time mat, this being a big time thing, of course, the matches that people came to see started kind of right off the bat. But uh, I didn't. I think the only reason they didn't put the third match second is because they didn't want to have two tag matches back to back. True. Um, because uh, I think that uh, uh, the next match, Brad Armstrong and Jimmy Garvin, were kind of a little low on the card, for my opinion. But that's again, that's because I like both Brad Armstrong and Jimmy Garvin a lot. But if you look at yeah. their place. On the card in the rank of the WCW NWA, you can see why they were where they were. But um, speaking of which, let's go right into it. Um, they start off. I wrote, "Is this a fight or a wrestling match?" When they start off, because it was a jump start. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Armstrong finally gains the advantage. Uh, the lots of uh, amateur and technical wrestling to slow it down. Uh, Precious causes a distraction, which lets Garvin uh, pull or use the hair to gain the advantage. Uh, uh, Armstrong gets a uh, hope spot, but uh, Garvin cakes back over. Garvin gets uh, caught using the tights. Precious does a good job. She is talking the whole time through this match, obnoxiously. Um, Eventually, Armstrong gets sent outside. They have the double KO. At the two minute mark, uh, lots and uh, lots and lots and two counts down the stretch. Uh, Garvin comes off the top at the bell, but it's a time limit draw, and uh, they uh, scuffle after the bell. And Garvin is is yelling at Brad Armstrong, "You're lucky she's holding me back," which I thought was was very good character work by Jimmy Garvin. Um, what did you think before we give our grades? Okay, so 
the entire match, I think the character work was perfect. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Garvin really was selling the idea that he was, uh, towards the end, that he was just like, he couldn't put Armstrong away. Mm -hmm. And I, I think he, I, if I can recall right, I have in my notes, he seemed anxious about the time limits. Yeah. But I think in his mind, he was, you know, getting very frustrated. Right? And, he, and it was coming across pretty well on TV. Mm -hmm. um, I liked the mat wrestling in this. Oh yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it because not it wasn't just oh I'm gonna throw you in a chin lock or a headlock I'm gonna put you in there I'm gonna crank on it and you're gonna sell trying to escape it I mean they were literally literally you know trying to force each other out of these moves the 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 head scissors I remember the head scissors especially was it Armstrong that had the head scissors on Jimmy Garvin that just looked like he was choking the life out of, out yeah. of Garvin because they the like. Best and he would like he'd do the move where he like moves his hips and Garvin would be like ah ah wave his arms around or you know we wasn't like not cartoonishly but like oh I'm in pain I've got to get out yeah. of this yeah and the best part was it it made you know it, they were selling it mm -hmm. so they weren't doing these fancy moves of today where you're hitting power bombs and suplexes and brain busters and all these other things where you know it makes sense that oh you're dazed when you get up. They were they they were struggling to get up because they were exhausted from using you know trying to reverse each other trying to escape each other's holds, mm -hmm. and I you know to me that that is what wrestling should be. Yeah. It shouldn't be like how much can I beat you up. It's how much you know. It's how tired can I make you before I can get that three count. Yeah, and that to me it was just perfectly executed. I like the part where you know like they're so I guess aware of everything when Armstrong has him in that side headlock on the mat and Garvin reverses with the pin attempt and grabs the tights. Brad is pointing at the tights. He's yeah. pointing to the ref. Hey, I can't kick out because he's grabbing me. Yep. And I think that's just great character work for the, from the heel. Yes. And just great, you know, awareness from the face. Cause oh, yeah. in today's wrestling, you know, they, most of them for whatever storyline purpose it is, they're not paying attention to these things. They're well, not pointing it out to the ref. They're not trying to. Um, also, you know, I don't. I don't remember who the referee was. Was, was it Scrappy McGowan, the uh, the uh, the blonde guy? I can't remember who the ref was in this one. But it's also good on the ref because you know this wasn't. They didn't plan this match out ahead of time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They didn't sit down in the locker room and go over it move for move. They called this in the ring, probably. Yeah. Uh, Garvin probably called it, but uh, it might have been, you know, you call when you're on offense, I'll call when I'm on offense. or some. I don't know who was leading it. It was impossible to tell who was leading the match, which also means it was very, very well done. Um, so it was good on the ref to see that spot, to figure out that that's what they were doing and that he was supposed to see Garvin catch the tights to get heat on Garvin. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's a no, heads up by the ref and you know you don't get you wouldn't get that today because the ref would know 90 percent of the spots that they were going to do that he would have to be involved with beforehand right i think it was it was just great great effort great execution by all parties in this match mm -hmm. and i gave it a b plus i mean i don't i don't, I don't know if we're giving our grades out right now but oh, to yeah, me yeah. This, no i gave it a this, b so b b plus yeah that's yeah. that's I, I i just love the whole struggle i mean there was no they weren't going for like today you would have seen like 10 or 20 high impact moves and probably yeah. still get two counts. Oh yeah. Well, and it was, was well, a 15 wrestling. minute match. 
you know so it was it's not like they went out there and this was like an eight little eight minute little nothing match like they went out there and worked for 15 minutes and uh yeah. and put in a struggle plus like i said uh one of my favorite things about this match is precious on the outside because she does such a great job as a valet as a heel valet of just just non-stop motor mouth running her mouth at Brad Armstrong the whole time. He gets thrown to the to the floor, and she is immediately right there on him. Get oh, back in the ring, Marlos, What are you doing? You're not going to win this match. Like just it, it it adds it adds so much to Jimmy Garvin's presentation to have her there as his you know number one fan, just berating anybody who is in the ring against him. Right. And I feel like that would be helpful for so many people today mm-hmm. because you could have, I mean, we talked about before, you know, like you don't want to put your opponents down, but a manager could do that. Yeah. And it doesn't look bad on the, you know, the person she's person he or she is managing. Yeah. And also it's a way to keep getting heat. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I'm any of the promoters in the two major companies right now, I'm wondering why you don't use that. I'm because I can't really think of many managers. I mean, I guess Bailey counts as one at this point when she, when EO and Dakota are wrestling. But yeah, well, she's I mean, usually I, on I, I commentary. Like they have to be full time, not yeah. just out there, not just faction leaders. That doesn't yeah. count really. Yeah. Well, and also Bailey's usually on commentary when EO and uh, true. You know when they're on there because they like to put her on commentary. It's not that she does a bad job, but yes, yeah, she she's very good at yelling at the people in the ring. I, but then again, that's any manager's job. Jim Cornette used to do that too, or he, right. he'd yell at the people at ringside to get heat with the people at ringside and boo it. You know, that's part of your job as a manager is to get heat off for your guys, you know? But, um, yeah, I gave, I gave it a B, um, mm-hmm. moving on. Uh, next match is, uh, the barbarian, and Shaska Watley versus Baron Von Raschke and Hector Guerrero, um, who is Eddie's dad. Yeah. Uh, I, the first thing I wrote is Hector looks just like Eddie, or Eddie looked just like Hector. Like, it was weird the first time I saw Hector Guerrero on uh, WCW because I was like, holy crap, that looks just like Eddie. And then, well, when, it's his dad. So. <laughs> when Eddie was first in W... Well, I can't say, but I don't think it was his first time, but when they brought in Eddie in WCW when they had Saturday night going. And, you know, I think it was Dusty Rhodes was on the commentary and everything mm-hmm. that whatever era that was, they, you know, they brought in Chavo a little later and they actually brought in Hecto. And I think, I think there might've been a fourth Guerrero brought in at one point too. Mm-hmm. But when I saw Hector, I'm like, before they even build him, I'm like, what happened to Eddie? He looks different. No, that was Hector. <laughs> and it's the, the, the they look so much alike. I mean, I know, yeah, they're related, but you you would have a hard time figuring out who was who if you looked at a random picture. Well, it was probably Hecto, Hector, Hecto, Hector, Hector uh, Chavo Sr., Eddie, and Chavo Jr. I don't remember if it was Chavo Sr. I, I want to, was there a Mondo? I don't know. I'm, <laughs> no, you're, are you thinking, thinking of Mike? Mondo Guerrero, and I don't know, I don't know why, and I'm hoping that's not a bad thing to think, but I'm just thinking there was a Mondo. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't watching during that time, but uh, I know that Eddie's brother, Chavo, well, Eddie had like five brothers, four brothers, because Chavo Sr. was one of his brothers. That's how Chavo Jr. got into the into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know who it would have been, but uh, this, this match here, 
Uh, had a good hot start, four man in the ring. Uh, Hector was just too fast for the Barbarian Shaska. Uh, did a great that cross body to the outside was just amazing. Like it is the one the thing that's even more amazing about it is because you never saw anybody do a cross body over the top ropes to the outside like that. No, you know, that was unco- it, it was unknown for that time. You know. Uh, as even even in '86, even if you go over to the WWF, the only guys coming off the top rope are who Savage and um, Savage and what maybe Snooka, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so uh, so that looks great. But then of course Shaska and the Barbarian use a double team on the outside, get some really good heat on Hector, uh, who eventually gets the hot tag to uh the baron who uses the claw but it gets broke on shaska but it gets broken up by the barbarian uh but baron drops the elbow and gets the win even though after the match uh he still gets more heat put on him by shaska and barbarian um i gave this one a c minus uh barbarian especially is not much of a worker baron couldn't really do a whole lot you know he's in the tail tail end of his career here Shaska's, you know, is what he is. So Hector was really the the star of this for me. Um, and I thought the flat, the finish was a little flat with Baron dropping, just dropping the elbow. But uh, maybe that's just because I'm, you know, more of, I won't, don't want to say a modern wrestling fan because that's, that definitely misrepresents, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm more used to the modern product. So somebody dropping an elbow isn't exactly... You know, the, finisher material, but um, at the same time, though, I mean, Watley did a good job of selling the miss, mm-hmm. and you know, it kind of made sense. Like it caught him off guard, took the win out of him, and the elbow was just icing on the cake. Yeah, but uh, overall, it's still a good match. I mean, C minus is not, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was there. I mean, the only I was able to C minus. The only thing I noticed or cared for about this match or made notes about. Um, it was just weird seeing Hector in a Mexican stereotypical outfit, stereotypical yeah. Mexican outfit. Um, and I, and then I realized Baron was in this match, and it was weird to see him as a uh, face, as a baby I, face. Uh, yeah, yeah. My memories of watching Baron were all as a heel. I don't remember him ever working as a face. Yeah, so he worked. Just... He turned on. Uh... He turned on Paul Jones right before he left the territory because Paul Jones had been promising him he was going to get title shots and title shots, and he never got any title shots. So he turned on Paul around the time that Rick Rude came in. So obviously, you know, they're trying to to uh, vest with Paul's stable, you know, because uh, I think Shaska and Barbarian. Barbarian's about to go to Japan. Shaska goes to, I think, the AWA or something. So it was uh, it was one of those things. This is kind of almost not a quite a farewell match, but close to a farewell match for a lot yeah. of those guys. And Hector was just brought in for uh, just to be in the tag team. I think he was just brought in for this one thing because he only did – like two weeks of, of uh, television before this, before Starcade, and then I don't think we saw him after Starcade. Really? I, I was going to say, when you started that sentence, I was thinking like, okay, that would make sense as he was, this was like his first match and just brought him here because the way they introduced him, mm-hmm. they made it seem like, hey, you may not know who this is, so we're going to hype him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact words, but I think they said something about, like, you know, I, I think the ring announcer actually said something like, 
a great wrestler or yeah. something like that. Yeah. A great wrestler from Mexico. Yeah, that was that was it. And I'm just like, yeah. that seems a weird thing to promote, but okay. And then when you said he was just brought in, I'm like, oh, this is his first match. But you know, if he's working a few matches before that, I can still see the need to promote him for that, especially for one of your biggest, you know. Yeah. Um, well, your biggest live of event, yeah, of the yeah. Uh, of the year. So yeah, it was. Oh, go ahead. I'll say the only other thing I noticed is I didn't realize again. This is for me watching more of the um, '90s WCW. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was Pistol Pez Watley. Yeah, I didn't realize he went through like several different names of like variations of his own name. Well, he was see he was Pistol Pez before. Then oh, he I turned on. Uh, the boogie woogie man, Jim. Then he turned on Jimmy Valiant and became Shaska Watley when he got with, um, with, uh, Paul Jones. So okay, I guess I he turned back to Pistol Pez Watley later when he turned back babyface. So I thought that was like his kid or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, so I looked it up. I'm like, oh, Shaska Watley. That's got to be the, you know, Pistol Pez's dad. Yeah. Nope. Same person. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So moving on. We get uh, Johnny Weaver back outside of Dusty's dressing room. Dusty says he's not doing any interviews, which was, I don't know. Some of the stuff they just kind of, they're just kind of killing time with, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Then we go back to Atlanta where we have the Jayhawks, which is uh, Ronnie Jaggers, if I remember correctly, and uh, Dirty and Dutch Mantel versus. Uh, Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev in a no DQ match for the United States tag titles. Um, of course, they make a, a special thing at the beginning to, to let you know that the chain and the bullshit bullwhip are both legal. Uh, starts like a regular tag match. Jayhawks get on top, very fast paced. Uh, Jayhawks start double teaming. Uh, Dutch gets pulled to the outside and then it starts to devolve. Uh, all four people get into the ring, and out come the bullwhip and the chain. Finally, they use the chain on Jaggers and the Russian winds, and there is a cavalcade of boos. Um, I put B minus. I thought this was a good match. Uh, I enjoy Dutch Mantel's work. Of course, Ivan Koloff is, you know, one of my favorites of all time, and he's really good in this match. Um, I just I thought it was all around it was a, all around it was a fun match especially for something that was no DQ to have it start off like a regular tag match and then kind of devolve over the course of the match to them using the weapons at the very tail end during the finish instead of just coming right out at the very beginning and hitting each other with the chain and the whip. You mean like in a typical NXT ladders match? Oh my god! Oh yeah, that, that was that's I I. I... I, I was watching the match and I forgot it was no DQ at one point because they weren't trying to go to, you know, do underhanded tactics and stuff. Yeah. They were just wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then when they started using the weapon, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I, I remember something vaguely, the ref seeing this happening. I'm like, okay, it's no DQ. <laughs> it makes sense now. But even like, like even then, it's like they literally used the weapons twice. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? The the chain got used twice and the bullwhip got used once. And right. that was it. You know? It I feel it. like that goes to a lot of character work too, because if you if the argument I would pose is that these wrestlers back then wanted to beat them on their merits because they believed they were the best. Well 
If, and if, if they had to rely on weapons, it was just sporadically. And if they had to rely on it, they wanted to make sure the weapons actually meant something. Well, especially for the baby faces. Yeah. The baby faces, like, that's what I always hate in a uh, in any sort of extreme rules, weapons, anything match. When the baby faces start using the weapons first, because that should be the baby face should be trying to have as clean of a match as possible and not use any sort of weapons because he wants to beat the the heel on on his own merit. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to have to rely on anything outside of himself, whereas the heel has no problem using a weapon. Um, A great example of this is uh, if you go back to NXT UK and watch Dragonoff versus Sam Gradwell in a no disqualification match. Uh, Dragonoff doesn't use any weapons the majority of the match. It's not till the very tail end that he actually uses a weapon against Sam Gradwell, whereas Gradwell uses several weapons throughout the entire course of the match. So, because um, I think, you know, and also with the heels, you know, the heels only really want to use the weapon to gain an advantage behind the referee's back. They don't, when it becomes legal, that's kind of defeats the whole purpose of them using a weapon because they're doing it to get heat, you know? Um, So it, it would make sense that it would, you know, devolve. And there's even, I've seen uh, no, technically no disqualification matches where the, uh, the heels will still cheat behind the referee's back. It doesn't matter that it's no DQ because, that's where the heat is, is that you're doing something you're not supposed to, and you're making sure nobody sees it or the authority figure doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I thought this was extremely, extremely well done, uh, for a no DQ match. Uh, of course, you know, the Russians, people hated the Russians. So the, the booze are just, just icing on the cake. Like I said, I gave it a B minus. Any other notes? Yeah. I would give it the same. I mean, to me, it was just—I I just like the character work in this match. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a typical tag match, um, just so they could use weapons in the end. That yep. was nice. Wasn't you know they weren't trying to—I don't know—like coming off of Halloween Havoc, <laughs> uh, the, you know, the, the NXT Halloween Havoc. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's—it was nice to see a match that could involve weapons, not rely on them. For the story, um, for the for for the duration of the match, you know, I mean, it's, it was good to incorporate it into the into the match, but you know, in a limited capacity where it was effective. Yeah, exactly. Not like where you throw a guy clear across the ring onto a table and <laughs> have him pop up and stole. Not across the, the ring. You throw him out of the ring. So oh, you yeah. throw him halfway across there. the ring, out of the ring, onto the announce table. Five minutes later, he's fresh as a daisy, climbing up the ladder like nothing happened. Oh, and the best part is he's climbing up after he already put someone else through a ladder. Yeah. Just pops right back up and climbs it as if nothing happened. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. At and least again, at, at least with that match, he sold that he was hurt when he was on top of the ladder celebrating. He yeah. was actually like, you know, grimacing a little bit. So, yeah. But that's I'm all you okay can with that. That's all you can really hope for is oh, but maybe they'll grimace a little bit when it's all he over. He did. He you sold. Know. He's you know. I was. I told myself, okay, he's selling that he got you know, almost killed. Yeah. I mean, I would be selling it a lot more to the point where like, I'm almost like falling down the ladder. But I, mean, I can see the pain in his eyes, so that's good. In the late seven, in the eighties, in eighty six, that would have been a hospitalization angle. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's in just, the 90s, that would have been a hospitalization angle. That wouldn't. I mean, yeah, that would have been the same as uh, uh, that would have been almost as bad as Mick Foley coming off of the, the Hell in a Cell. Like they would have put they would have had him on a stretcher. He would have had to fight his way off the stretcher back into the match. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, my recollection of this is a little fuzzy, but I remember when Bam Bam Bigelow threw Little Spike Dudley into the crowd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was basically, I, I, if my memory's right, I think the crowd brought him back into the ring, but he was just like DOA. He was yeah. not moving. And then Bam Bam did it again, I think. But in both situations, he was selling that he just got launched and, you know, could have died. Yeah. So, I think if they had done that with somebody who wasn't going to win the match, I think it would have been a little bit better, in my opinion. Is it, but is it uh, possible? I don't want to. I know we're getting off of the match, but is it possible Von Ragnar or Van Ragnar, whatever his name is, grabbed the wrong person? And I say that only because he is so bad in the ring. He almost took out a fan with the ladder. Oh yeah, that was that was a that would have been a lawsuit right there. Are yeah. you kidding me? I mean, um, is it possible that he just grabbed the wrong person? Like, I mean, I, 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 I can't mean, imagine Michaels, HBK, saying, okay, that, that makes sense to me. Let's, let's launch the guy out and go right to the finish and have him come back in. I don't know. I can't imagine I mean, that being, being how, made, how, how you know, him agreeing to that. I don't know. I mean, but Shawn Michaels, that's uh, – I don't know. I don't know what Shawn's deal is anymore. I think uh, sometimes he uh, – Sometimes he lets the the youth and the 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 modern style and enthusiasm get the better of him when he agrees to do stuff like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I think that was Wesley's idea, and Sean said, "Okay." <laughs> Sean, that was they caught Sean in the moment of I'm not paying attention to what you're saying. That sounds good. Yeah. I can't I can't hear you, so I'm just going to agree. It's like the episode of uh, of Seinfeld with the low talker. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. 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 I didn't agree to wear a puffy shirt. <laughs> I didn't agree to let a guy get killed and then win the match. Yeah, that was just a mistake, <laughs> a complete mistake. But, but okay. Anyway, back to moving on the tag match. I, I again, I liked how the weapons were used at the end as opposed to during the entire match, and you know the whole structure just made sense that way. So I gave it like a C, C, C plus. Okay. So C plus B minus. We're still in the same ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Next match. Rick Rude versus Wahoo McDaniels in a strap match. Of course, Paul Jones is out there with Rick Rude. Uh, Rick refuses to put the strap on. In the very, Well, no. Not, he doesn't refuse to put the strap on. He wants Wahoo to put the strap on first. And Paul Jones throws the strap at Wahoo. Uh, Wahoo gets up early using the strap. But then uh, Rick gets up and starts getting heat on Wahoo. Uh, Rick gets two and then, uh, Wahoo gets, gets two. Uh, okay. For those of you who don't know in this, this is a traditional strap match where you have to drag your opponent around the ring and touch all four, uh, corners in succession. Uh, so Rick drags Wahoo around and gets two, uh, Wahoo gets color. There's a momentum shift. Then rude gets color. Uh, Wahoo gets a three. There's another momentum shift. Uh, Rick does some stuff, gets pulled off the top rope. Um, and finally, <clears throat> Wahoo gets the four. Wahoo gets three, and then he's going for four, and Paul Jones is up there and uh, pushes. 
I forget what happened. I think he pushes Rick Rude, or somehow Rick Rude gets pushed into Wahoo, and that pushes Wahoo into the corner, which gets him the four and the win. Right. Wahoo went to slap, I'm blanking the manager's name. Paul Jones. Paul Jones. And he hits, and as he does it, Rude sends him crashing into the final turnbuckle and then proceeds to um, wail on him. And then after uh, the match, uh, Hector and Baron von Raschke make the save after the match. Uh, I give this a D. Yeah. This was not either, guys. It, it's not a Rick Rude match. Uh, Wahoo McDaniels is pretty much the only match he can still do is the strap match because it doesn't involve him doing a whole lot. If you notice, he tends yeah. to lay around for the majority of the match. Um, and just uses the strap to pull people around. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Um, so I, it just wasn't, I wasn't into it on the rewatch. I might've been a little bit more into it, but that also could have just been that I'd had a couple of beers when I rewatched it. So, <laughs> you know, it just, it wasn't, I'm sorry. It wasn't that good. Like I'm never a big fan of strap matches. Um, you know, had this been a Yappa pie Indian death strap match, maybe we would have had a different feeling, but Really, that joke didn't land. Um, but you know, I, I I hate strap matches. It's stupid, and you know, like Wahoo could have won outright had he just let go of the strap a little bit, give a little bit of length. Yeah. And instead, they make him look kind of silly because he's struggling to bring Rude, then goes after, goes you know, attacks Jones, yeah. and then gets thrown into it. It's like okay, you know. Yeah. It just looks. It just. It's. It, he wins by accident. Yeah. When he could have won on purpose, but it, it, I don't know. It just. It, I. I, I hate strap matches. So this was a D. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't hate the concept of a strap match. I just don't think this was a very well executed one because, I think in a strap match you need two people that can at least be somewhat athletic. Especially, yeah. um, like. You know, it, and of course, I know it's not a strap match, but the dog collar match with uh, Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine, like they were both athletic enough to come off the ropes and to, you know, be sent to the outside and pulled through the ropes and that sort of thing. And that's, you know, but you could Rick Rude would be the only one who could actually do any of those spots while he was not going to get thrown to the outside. He can barely stand up in the middle of the ring, you yeah. know. Uh, nothing against Wahoo. I just think he was, you know, old and out of shape and he couldn't really do it anymore. And I think that part of the, uh, uh, cause you, I mean, unless he is a great actor, you could tell he was struggling dragging root around that ring, like really, yeah. really struggling. So, uh, it just, it, you know, it is what it is. He it, the funny thing is, is Wahoo McDaniel's had a strap match with Jimmy Garvin earlier that year during the Great American Bash. It was actually pretty decent because Garvin, okay. well, Garvin sells a lot better than than Rick Rude does too because Garvin's got that kind of I don't want to say silliness, but that flamboyancy to him that Rick Rude doesn't. Although Rick Rude is, you know, billed as this uh, flamboyant, ravishing guy, he's very stoic in the ring when he sells. Yeah, you know? um, yeah, he's not a he's, he's not um he's not a flailer. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way I put it. You know, so uh, yeah, it just didn't. 
I think it was one of those things that just didn't come together. Uh, but what did come together after this, we got a great promo, another fantastic promo from a long line of them from Ivan Koloff about uh, Nikita, Dusty, the bunkhouse matches. Like, uh, it was just, it, again, like, it immediately picked the whole the whole pace of everything back up, seeing Ivan out there talking about getting revenge on Nikita and Dusty and the, uh, and the bunkhouse matches. And I can't wait to get a hold of you. And yes, we're going to win money, but more importantly, we're going to, we're going to get our revenge. Like that's, he's just, he's so good at that sort of oh, promo, yeah. you know? So, um, after that next match, Bill Dundee versus uh, Sam Houston for the Central States title. Uh, what what did you think of this one, Rob? I was not that impressed by the match. Yeah, I mean it was good. Um, I, I don't. I, 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 the only thing that the outcome, the outcome didn't confuse me. The way they had the outcome happen was weird, but. It, in a good way, though. Yeah. I liked how, you know, uh, what was it? Dundee grabs, you know, is able to rip the boot off of Houston mm-hmm. and then use it as a weapon after crashing into the ref and the ref still picks up on it to cause the DQ. Yeah. I like that whole um, interaction because it makes the ref look um, not weak, I guess. Yeah. Like, he can't, like, he's actually doing his job mm-hmm. as opposed to just, you know, basically dying when he gets touched. Yeah. So that was nice. But the match itself, I didn't really care for you weren't you weren't into it no i mean i like the i liked how they used the the only real like interesting notes i have in my in my notes is that he, he um they use a boston crab and it looks more dangerous than the walls of jericho yeah yeah and i that was, that was my only takeaway from the match oh yeah nothing really i mean it was good it, it was a good match it was it it was like I, I almost want to say it was like a palate cleanser in a way. Yeah. Because the it, last match was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it made it made it, it was good. It was a good middle match, but nothing overly impressive. I don't, I don't know much about Sam Houston or Bill Dundee as well, and so I, I think that's what kept oh, me, out of, kept yeah. me out of the match. I guess. I think that might have also been part of why I enjoyed it because I was a huge mark for Sam Houston. Okay. Uh, because he was, you know, uh, skinny. Uh, he was tall, but he was super skinny. And of course, I was a super skinny kid. So anytime I saw a skinny guy in there being successful, I was always like, "Yes, you yes," you know. Um, yeah. And uh, Bill Dundee was, uh, of course, he was a, a mainstay in Memphis, and then was also in uh, uh, Mid South for a long time. Uh, so he's a veteran. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of Bill Dundee. I think he can talk really well. I, I think his work is good. I don't think he's mm-hmm. a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. But he is he's good enough to do whatever you need him to do. If you need him to go out there with Ric Flair and have a 45 minute match, he can do it, and he'll get the people into it. If you need him, like here, to have a match with Sam Houston because you want to put Sam Houston on the card. He can throw a match together and get Sam Houston over, um, and and you know not lose technically. You know what I mean? Get get disqualified. So he didn't get pinned. He got just DQ'd, which is you know not the same thing. Um, I think there there was a good head. Sam Houston has a great head scissors takedown. Um, 
I really liked the fact that, especially at the beginning, they were selling Dundee as kind of the sneaky veteran. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Who would yeah. like kind of like rope Sam Houston into something and then turn it on him. Um, uh, I liked uh, with Dundee. There were points in this where Dundee seemed like he was wrestling mean, like he was almost trying to hurt Sam Houston. I mean, obviously he wasn't, but you know what I mean? You could see it on his face when he was uh, getting heat on Sam, especially towards the end. He was really like, you know, laying it looked like he was laying it in. Um, yeah. I uh but yeah, I really liked the uh the knee, the knee work to the ref being down to Dundee using the boot and then getting caught. I thought mm-hmm. that was a, a a great uh um sequence of events. And again, yeah, like you said, that was a a, a great work by the uh by by them to not bury the ref and have him call the DQ because he didn't get really knocked out. He just got knocked down, which yeah. is something you would never, ever, ever, ever see today because now if a ref even gets touched, they go down for five minutes, which I think oh, is stupid. The stretchers need to come out when, when it's today. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's just bad. What was it? Uh, I'd say when you're, when you're down as a ref, you got maybe 60 seconds. I think before it becomes really, really ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially for something inadvertent. If, if you know, if um, someone picks you up and throws you, yeah, you may get another. You can be down for a while, but an accidental but, bump, unless they bump you into a table mm-hmm. or a turnbuckle or something and squash you in there, unless, there's no reason you should be down for more than like thirty seconds. Yeah, I would say as because especially if you just get like this, you just get run into. It's not like he got hit in the head with anything or no. really like you know elbowed in the or anything like that. He literally just got ran into and knocked down. Um, yeah, just shut basically. So, uh, but yeah, this so that's and again, if you're down for more than a minute, why aren't you sending another ref out there? You yes, know? I agree uh, with that because that's that's the uh, that's another thing that bothers me. The ref goes down and then another ref doesn't come out for like 5 minutes and you're like seriously? Like you can't there's no other referees in the back at all. You have you know what are they all doing? Are they all in catering? Do they all have their mouths full? They can't go. Yeah, it ma- it makes absolutely no sense. And then and then you have like in today's world you have you know the ref missed something, and then a, a head referee comes out of nowhere and changes the call. Well, that's I've had I've had that happen. That that happened back in the day too. That was oh, a lot. True, true. But if you have the head referee there, that means you can send in a head referee to you know yeah. to come in and fill out fill the space while the the scheduled referee is unconscious. Well, usually what it happens with those because I've seen that happen quite a few times is Tommy Young, who's the head referee, something will happen. And he'll get knocked down. And then they'll send another referee out. But that referee will actually call the pin. But then Tommy will be like, no, no, no. There's no pinfall because there was a DQ before that pinfall. You know what I mean? So then it's like, oh, well, okay. That's... you could, then they wave it off, and then that's that's a classic dusty finish, especially when you're uh, talking about a championship match. To have you know a DQ happen, but it doesn't get revealed that the DQ happened until after the match is over, and you think the babyface has won the championship, but he really hasn't. Um, but anyway, I gave this one a B plus, so I was 
a little bit higher on it than I think you were, but that's fine. Like I said, I, I can I can be a mark for some guys. <laughs> so um, that definitely influences how my how I grade the Brad Armstrong matches too. So yeah, <laughs> I get it. I'm surprised you weren't like Brad Armstrong had the best match of the night. It was an A plus. If he had got the win, I would have given it an A. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't blame him. It's still, it's still a great match. I mean, it's still, if you look overall at the card and the matches that are on the card, it's still one of the better wrestling matches. Oh, Um, definitely. But now we come into a, uh, a match that is 100% character driven. (laughs) You, as you were talking about last, uh, last week with the, uh, the opening match of the, uh, the SummerSlam, this is a character match. Yes, 100% and completely. This is Jimmy Valiant with Big Mama versus number one Paul Jones in a hair versus hair match. Paul Jones loses, he loses his hair. Jimmy Valiant loses, and Big Mama loses hers. Um, uh, Apparently, Raging Bull, uh, Manny Fernandez, was supposed to get in the cage. He didn't want to get in the cage. Finally, uh, Tim Horner, Nelson Royal, Baron Von Raschke, and Wahoo McDaniels come out to put bull in the cage it takes wahoo this is one of my favorite things in this whole pay-per-view is wahoo one chop right in front of the cage and like <laughs> and bull just crumbles into the cage you know what i mean um, they should do that spot somehow with gunther oh that would gunther. be fantastic oh and just you know I, I don't know how you do it, but get everybody as quiet as possible and just let him slap whoever it is. Oh, that would just be that would be an awesome angle. Gunther would awesome. have to be a baby like, face to do that. I think you could do I think you could do that with Dragonoff. Oh yeah, you could do Dragonoff. That'd probably get, be the better you know, get Dragonoff to, to slap one of maybe one of Gunther's uh, underlings is uh maybe a Vin, Vici's out and uh so he slaps uh the other guy um, um Kaiser. Kaiser. He slaps Kaiser yeah. into the uh into the the shark cage so that they, he can't interfere in the match. I agree with that. That we should get you know uh, we should tell Triple H of this because that would be that would just I would I would love to see that. I mean, you could probably get you could probably do it with Sheamus if you want to run Sheamus and Gunther back again already. But I think Sheamus is injured. Is he really? Jeez, I did not know that. Oh, I've, I I heard he's injured anyway. I don't know a hundred percent for sure, but uh, he does. I mean, he's getting older. You know, he's like yeah. what 45, 40 something. Yeah. You couldn't tell it by looking at him, but I'm sure he feels it. But uh, anyway, getting back into the match here. Uh, Valiant gets up early. Jones has a foreign object, splits Valiant open. Valiant makes a good comeback. Jones drops the foreign, foreign object. Valiant uses it, gets the win. Crowd goes batshit crazy. Like, for such a simple match, that crowd went absolutely insane when jimmy valiant won um they start chanting bald-headed geek bull comes out of the hay cage and they get uh heat on jimmy valiant with rude uh rude does the uh um the the pile driver on the chair and wahoo and baron come out to help valiant back to the back um like I said, there was no. This was not a fancy technical masterpiece, but uh, I gave it a C plus because that crowd was super into it. It got me into it on the second on again, and I've seen this before. Like, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing like 
if you were to just describe the match move for move, it would sound like the most boring match on the face of the planet. But when you right. add in the character work of Jimmy Valiant and and of Paul Jones for that matter, being the uh, the you know the dick that uh, he was, it just it elevates it, and you're like, holy crap, that was entertainment. I was sports entertained. <laughs> What did you think? I, I think the whole segment from the start to finish with you know with everything getting you know getting Manny into the cage getting the outcome with the you know really um, spending what was borderline and almost ungodly amount of time on him trying to shave the head yeah if you go through everything though it's it's it you know with the and the crowd still being in it yeah I mean like today if you take that long to shave somebody's head in a match the crowd is going to turn on you, mm-hmm. but they were loving it. They were loving every second of it. And I think if you look at it from just how the, what it was supposed to do in terms of, you know, like the kind of reaction it was supposed to generate. Yeah. You, you get like a C plus B minus match out of that. Like a, yep. a segment, like don't treat it as a match, treat it as a segment and it's, it's over. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you accomplish your job. You got everybody, you know, involved to get some kind of um, you know reaction from the crowd, whether it was the baby faces in the beginning coming in to you know get Manny into the cage, mm. to um, you know shaving Jones's head, yep. To even when you know when Manny Manny comes out with um, Rude, right? Rude yeah. came out with him. Mm-hmm. and you know to attack attack at the end, and then have the baby faces again make the save. Everything right there was just perfectly done, almost like you mm-hmm. got the reactions you wanted, and it wasn't just ho-hum reactions it was loud boisterous reactive oh yeah uh, well crowd reactions so the, I, think that, I, I think it did a great job i mean i'm not not not, the, not treating it as a match but you gotta look at the whole picture of how that segment was put together that's b minus b b work well b you also c plus and b you have to take into account this was the end of what was almost a year long little less than a year long feud between jimmy valiant and paul jones yeah. That of course Jimmy Valiant and Paul Jones had been feuding, but it's all started when Pest, Pistol Pez Watley cut because Jimmy Valiant used to have a rat tail, big long rat tail, and yeah. Pistol Pez Watley cut Jimmy Valiant's rat tail off and turned heel and became Shaska Watley. So then he, uh, Jimmy Valiant, wanted revenge on Shaska. Uh, and wanted to revenge on Paul Jones for that because Paul Jones is the one who put him up to it. And uh, then, so they had a series of matches and Jimmy Valiant shaved uh, Shaska Watley's head and, you know, made him a bald-headed geek. Uh, then I think he didn't have... He, well, he couldn't... He had a match with Baron Von Raschke, but Baron Von Raschke already shaves his head, so there wasn't anything to do there. But they had a match, Paul Jones versus Jimmy Valiant, but Paul Jones ended up winning that match and shaving Jimmy Valiant's head. Then uh, Manny Fernandez, Raging Bull, betrayed uh, Jimmy Valiant and took a bunch of money from Paul Jones to turn heel and become part of Paul Jones' faction. So that was another twist to it. So like this had been going on since before the Great American Bash. So since the spring of 86, this had been going on. So this was the... 
like final match, final hurrah for Jimmy Valiant to finally get over on Paul Jones, and he did. So yeah, he had, but and this is all character work of Jimmy Valiant because none of the other guys involved, except for maybe Manny Fernandez, has the charisma to get this kind of reaction out of people. This was all Jimmy Valiant, and like uh, like I said, he he made he took this he took chicken shit and made chicken salad out of it in this one. Yeah. But um, so yeah, C C plus B B minus somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, then we get a uh, Buckhell Stampede VTR with Nelson Royal, where he explains. He takes a long time to explain what a Buckhell Stampede match is, uh, but he does a good he job a good explaining. Job covering it. It. What was that? He does a decent job covering it, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean he does. For those not in the know, I mean, you you now know too much. Mm-hmm. Can you excuse me for one second? I got a client calling me and he's calling repeatedly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, now that Rob's on the phone talking to his client, of course, we got the, uh, let's just run down what we had so far here tonight. We'll do that. We'll do a little recap while Rob's on the on the phone. We had Tim Horner, Nelson Royal versus Don and Rocky Cornodal. That got a, a C plus, um, C C plus, and then of course Brad Armstrong versus uh, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin with Precious, which was a uh, I still think is a underrated match. Uh, if you want to go back and watch Starcade '86, this is definitely one of the ones you're going to want to uh, to sit down and watch. Um, that one got a B. Uh, the Barbarian and Shaska Watley versus uh, Baron Von Raschke and Hector Guerrero. Really, the reason to watch this match would be Hector Guerrero. I gave it a C minus. It's definitely pretty skippable, if you ask me. Um, let's see the uh, Jayhawks versus the Russians and a no DQ for the U.S. title. This is it's a B minus. It's it's better than you would think. When you hear no disqualification, your mind immediately probably goes to what we usually think of as a no disqualification match in uh, the modern take in the uh, the the modern um, take on a no disqualification match and that is uh, not what we got at all in this match we got a very good um, wrestling match that devolved into a match that had some use of weapons but not a lot Rick Rude and Wahoo McDaniel's strap match is um, not it's not a good match. <laughs> like if you're if you want to take a smoke break or maybe um, go, uh, go go to the bathroom or uh, grab a bite to eat, this would be the match to do it during because it is uh, it's not there's nothing special about it. You're not going to um, to really gain a whole lot of information from it. Uh, and then. Uh, Dundee versus Sam Houston for the Central States title. We gave that one. I gave that one a B plus. I think. Uh, I think Rob gave it a C if I remember correctly. Yeah, I did. I'm back. Okay. You're back. All right. I was just doing a little recap. I was like, well, well what can we do here? So. Uh, Going to recap the uh, recap of the Bunkhouse Stampede. I could. Uh, I mean, I've seen it so many times. I could probably tell you one of the most He's dangerous. The <laughs> one of the most dangerous kind of matches is a battle royal. (laughs) 
So they come in and they can just bring in whatever they want. Chains, belts, maybe they got their boots on. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Poor Nelson Roy. I'm not going to say anything. Hey, he won that match tonight with Tim Horner, so good for him. And he came out and helped get uh, get old Manny Fernandez into the cage. Then we get um, a, a VTR on the uh, Crockett Cup, which was kind of cool to see because I've had a lot of trouble getting good quality footage of the Crockett Cup because I wanted to watch it because, you know, I mean, it's a tag team tournament. And you know me, I love tag team wrestling. I was like, God damn, this is this would be great, but they don't have it anywhere on the the uh, the, the cock. Yeah. So oh, is that so, what we've heard of right now? I'm, well, I'm going to use that name. Yeah, the cock. The cock. Mm-hmm. So they I don't have say, it. Sur- I, I've never seen the Bushwreckers in their sheep herders days. Mm-hmm. To see them actually wrestling, I mean, granted, it was a very clip, very quick clip. To see them actually wrestle, ser- I guess, I, I guess seriously, yeah, was interesting. Oh yeah, well I they were. I've seen them actually wrestle as the sheep herders. I don't know where to start. They were they were violent too. Yeah. Like they were they 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 would have lots of matches that would just devolve in a bloodbath. Like, uh, well, I mean, you can tell by looking at them that they've got they've got gig marks all over their forehead. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they uh they they were super violent. That's why you know it's funny when people see the you know they talk about the bushwhackers and they're like oh this is the stupid silly gimmick for kids and it's like yeah those guys paid their dues in the territories and had some of the best and bloodiest matches so yeah i think they can go to wwf and goof around and lick each other's heads and make a ton of money you know towards the tail end of their career because that was you know it's funny that's a lot of guys did that there was a lot of guys that went to the wwf toward the tail end of their career to make money because they knew if you went to New York, you were going to make a ton of money, whether you were on top or not. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's what Dusty did when he said that he went to, you know, I mean, he didn't go there just for the money. I think he went there because he was a little, the WCW crowd had gotten a little too much of Dusty, I think. So, uh, quite possibly, you know, well, not to go off tangent too much, but that, I, that's what a lot of fans don't get. These guys, you know, bust their asses on the independent scene. They bloody themselves up for, you know, God only knows how much they're getting paid to do this match. And when they go to WWE and are toned down, fans are upset by that. But I'm, you know, I'm of the opinion that they're making the judgment call to say that my body doesn't want to, you know, leak any more blood yeah. than it has to. Mm-hmm. So if you want me to be something of a comedic wrestler just to get a paycheck where I don't have to break my body every night, mm-hmm. I will do it. Oh yeah. And fans just get so upset, like, well, you know, it's he was having these matches in Ring of Honor where he was, you know, covered in blood. He should be doing that now. Maybe he doesn't want to do it. Or maybe the money's good enough that, and he's gotten to the point in his career where he's, yeah, exactly. Like you said, he doesn't, he he, he doesn't give a shit. He's happy. You know, it's like, just let them wrestle the way they want to wrestle. And it, you know, it's like, I know I can be harsh on, you know, guys in AEW 
who think mm-hmm. bleeding is a way of life. John Moxley. But, you know, <laughs> if I'm going to, res- if that's what they want to do, if that's what they think they need to do to entertain people, let them, I guess. But if there's wrestlers who, you know, like I'm, I'm specifically thinking of like Nigel McGuinness, yeah. who would, you know, he would just be covered in blood in some of his matches, like just yeah. looking like a horror movie victim. And, you know, granted, he can't do it anymore for various health reasons. But, you know, he went to WWE to announce in NXT yeah. UK. He could have, I'm fully convinced if he went to, if he wanted to, and it was not bad for his health, he could go to AEW and Tony would let him wrestle. Yeah, I'm but sure he, he would. He doesn't want to do that right now. He wants to take it easy. You know, he wants to do, he's paid his dues. He has a name. And he can live off that name by doing commentary now. For I want Nigel McGuinness to come to NXT and replace Booker T. Same, same. I would, I would pay his flight down here. I I'm, loved Nigel on commentary. He was just he can come. He perfect. can stay at my house. He can have our guest bedroom. I don't care. Just get well, him. That's, that's me. That's that, that, that's personal reasons at that point. You just want to. I mean, I I no, would no, like no, to no, stay no, here. No. And I, I would have him as a friend, basically. No, 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 no. He can he can stay in the basement. I'll close off the basement. He have his own door. He's don't even have, I don't even have to talk to him. Just whatever we can do to oh, get okay. him in the area where he could be at NXT on a regular basis and do commentary because. I love Booker T. I really do. I'm sure that Booker is a great and a super nice guy, but I have never liked him on commentary. I think he took one too many chair shots to the head. I hate to say that about somebody, but he just half the time he doesn't make sense. And it he gets very confu- he gets confused about who's who sometimes. And it's yeah. just it's it's not what I want from uh, from NXT, especially even coming off of Wade Barrett, you know, as uh, as the, uh, the the commentator down there in NXT. But I think Nigel would bring uh, his Nigel was one of the best parts of NXT UK because he brought that almost Gordon Sully sports feel sports like feel to the commentary where he took it very like pretty serious. You know what I mean, and uh, he would he would examine stuff. He would always talk about uh, uh, throwbacks, and he'd talk about you know the 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 guys who inspired people, or like, oh yeah, this looks like something this person used to do. He knows wrestling history. It's just, <clears throat> and he's extremely well spoken, and I think that uh, that all those things work in his favor to be a fantastic commentator, and he can go wherever he wants to go, you know, but. Uh, I wish he would come to NXT. Right. When he was first announced as the new commentator for NXT, I was thinking that it was going to be similar to his commentary that he would do in TNA, which was, you know, designed to be a comedy act. Yeah. But even, you know, even looking forward to that, I would not have wanted it to be a long-term gig for him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's great on the mic. He's just not great doing commentary. Yeah, and that's not a slight to him. I mean, some people are just, you know, like some people have that talent. That's not his, that's, that's not in his wheelhouse. Yeah. So I don't know how, why they landed on him for that role, unless they are planning on using him as um, maybe a producer later on or some something involved in NXT where he can, help develop characters but 
I don't know. I feel like there were better options. They could have kept Wade Barrett on NXT or or something. He just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I know. It, it is what it is. We'll uh, let's. I've gone to to not listening to the commentary on NXT, and I was when Wade was was doing it. Thanks. Well, I was the past couple of months. I, I go back and forth between listening to commentary on different shows because, like, like AEW, I don't listen to anything on AEW. I listen to music and watch AEW unless MJF is talking. That's pretty much the only person I listen to on AEW anymore. And even now that they're switched him babyface, I'm not even sure I'm going to bother with that anymore. But we'll see. That'll be a test for him to see if he can actually be a babyface. I don't think his character lends to that. So I know, think the swerve. I think the swerve is going to be that he's not actually babyface, and he set all this up with what's his face, Stokely. In the beginning, to throw everybody off track, but and so this is like the Ric Flair sting angle when they were reforming the Horsemen, where Ric Flair acted like a babyface against Anderson and Tillman. I and guess then, I don't like, know. It's just I mean it's, I don't know. If, 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 if they're thinking that far ahead, good for them. I don't. I don't. I mean, granted, I haven't watched AEW in about four weeks now because I've just given up on the product. Well, they just did. It, they and, just did two. Uh, Two babyface swerve not swerve not turns with Jamie Hader and with Daniel Garcia. So if they do another one with MJF, it's like, oh, okay. So instead of debuts, now you're just going to fake uh, turn people. Turn. You know, <laughs> like fake turns everywhere. Yeah, you're out of people that they, you can debut. What other uh, what what other thing can you hammer in and do over and over and over again? Cause you can't do blood as much on TV anymore. So, right. yeah, I just anyway, moving on <laughs> back to good wrestling from 1986. Ron Garvin, the Mr. Stone versus Big Bubba Rogers with Jim Cornette. Um, this is a street fight where only a pinfall or a 10 count can gain victory. Um, oh, I didn't get that. I thought it was only a 10 count. Huh. No, I think. Uh, they said 10 pinfall or 10 count, but they only really went for the 10 count, I think. Did That's they, why anyone I like actually go for a pinfall? I don't know. I, I did not. Maybe I looked down at one point, but I don't remember seeing a pinfall at all. Like a pinfall attempt. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It might be in my notes here. Uh, let's see. Garvin starts throwing fists, but Bubba won't go down. <clears throat> Bubba does get sent to the outside and goes down out there. Uh, Bubba starts throwing Garvin around. But Garvin gets back up. Bubba bails. Uh, the foreign object is introduced with the uh, nickels, the 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 roll of roll of dimes, and Garvin yep. goes down, but gets up at eight. Yeah, uh, Garvin uses a rope, and Bubba goes Bubba goes out and down, but then Bubba gets back up and gets on top. Uh, it's caught by Gar. Oh, go Bubba goes to the top. It gets caught by Garvin. Does the flare off? The ref goes down. Uh, Cornet loaded racket to Garvin. Uh, then they say ten. The referee counts to ten, and they're both still down. First person to their feet. Uh, Garvin gets up to a knee, but gets Garvin gets up, but gets a racket in the knee, and Bubba wins. And the chant fans chant bullshit as they should. I gave this a B. Um. I am right with you on that. And the only reason I gave you a B, I gave it a B is yeah. the intensity these guys did. They were like, I don't know about the, the few leading up to this, but they were going for blood. 
Oh yeah. They had a very strong intensity and, you know, Bubba always knows how to do a great sell in my opinion. Yeah. And they just, they made this look like they absolutely hated each other. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that the intensity they brought to this match. Oh wow. I, I, it, it was, it was, it was good. I have nothing to say other than it was good. I'm just watching, watching them just flail around the ring as they're getting shot at the shot, yep. uh, you know, punches. It that was incredible. I like the finish. The finish made sense given Cornette was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you want to see that? To me, like when you have a heel manager and you're going to get the win as a heel, yeah, you have to get the manager involved, yeah, in the, in the win process. And that was just perfectly executed. Well, not only a couple things. Uh, one, Garvin is an intense wrestler anyway. I mean, yeah, we talked true. about that. So for for Bubba to come out and match his intensity was really good. Um, and this is Bubba is at some of his heaviest. You know, like he was because you know Big Boss Man fluctuated a lot with his weight, but he was really really big here. So to be able to do, especially some of the. Uh, you know, through the rope to the outside stuff that he did and coming off the top rope like that. Good for, uh, good for Bubba. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm fully convinced by the way that whoever was, whoever created the big boss man character yeah. saw this match and said, this is how I want him to wrestle. Cause that, this is the attire I want him to wrestle. Cause that was almost like boss man gear. Oh yeah. Um, let's see. We got, uh, oh yeah. The, the other thing. Okay. So it's, it's a street fight. The only way you can win is by 10 counts. So technically there's no disqualification. Mm-hmm. Cornette still hides the racket, uses the racket behind the referee's back. Yeah. When he loads the, when he loads the racket up and hits Garvin in the head, the referee's down. When he hits Garvin in the knee, he sneaks around behind Garvin and makes sure that the referee is looking at Bubba when he spikes the spikes, the knee with the, uh, with the racket. So, Again, like I was saying, if you're a heel, even if it's a no DQ match, use the shit behind the referee's back because that's where your heat's at. And they got a ton of heat in this match because that audience was not happy at all that Garvin lost that match. Yeah. So kudos to them. Good job. Well done. And if I remember correctly, this was Bubba's first pay-per-view match. I think so. I think this was Bubba's first match on a big, on like a big show. Cause I don't, I don't think he, no, he wasn't there for uh great American bash. So yeah, this would have been the first show that, that Bubba was around for. Good for Bubba. Yeah. I always liked Bubba. Wish he could have done more with his career in terms of, I, I guess he didn't need championships, but I just, I, I feel like he doesn't get the recognition that he really deserves. Oh yeah. I mean, he did have a great career, though. I mean, he went from yeah. he came into WWF and immediately feuded with Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And he was all over the WWF for years. He went to WCW and was uh, one of their uh, their top mid card guys over there too, wasn't he? Yeah. If I, yeah. Remember I mean, even correctly. when they even when they pushed him aside with the NWO, he was still you know featured, not yeah. in like main event matches, but you could count on seeing him at least a Nitro or a Thunder. And if it was against, you know, lower talent, he would pick up the win. He was I, still he was still pretty much used. I'm a little and, surprised that Paul E didn't try and grab Bubba for Dangerous Alliance. 
Yeah, you know, I didn't realize they could have actually been a good. Um, he could have been a good uh, fit there, actually. Yeah, I think I think Paulie and Bubba could have actually gone, or Paulie and Boss Man, or Paulie and whatever you want to call him could have actually. I think I think that would have been a great combination. I think with Paulie, because Bubba could talk too, so it wasn't like Paulie would have to do all of the talking for him. But uh, to have Paulie in his corner, almost like a cornet, would uh, would really have gotten him a ton of heat. Oh well. Then the underkanger lynched him. <laughs> so that's that. that's the part I want to forget about. His yeah, career. yeah, I, I don't do. want to remember that at all. I do too, because it wasn't even really the Undertaker; it was the Brood. That is true. And uh, I think I'd rather just forget about the Brood altogether. <laughs> I just want to forget about the Ministry of Darkness, honestly. Are we, are, we, are we vampires? Are we not vampires? Do they suck blood? Do they not suck blood? What? Huh? Who cares? They um, didn't know what they were. They didn't care. You know there what I no care about? Remember. What? Yeah, I said, you know what I care about? What was that? The TV title. And oh, that's in yes. our next match. That's next. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes versus Tully Blanchard for the tele, for the NWA TV title in a first blood match. Um, let's see. They uh, of course Tully comes out, then Dusty comes out with his new haircut and the Tully written on the side of his ears. I don't get that above his. Ear. I, I, I don't get it either. I don't. It's it, why it's do you a, want your enemy written on your head? I mean, I, to me, that conveys the message of he is inside your head. He is living, as the kids say, rent-free in Dusty's head. Maybe Dusty should go touch some grass. Um, yeah, there you go. I do, before we get too much into the match, I love the um, intro where they show Dusty backstage. Yeah. That was, you know, walking to the ring. That, mm-hmm. was, that was a nice touch. It almost has that, like, boxer, boxing, sports feel to it. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it was like the main event at this point. I know it's not, but it felt like the main event the way they were like setting it up. Yeah, I, well, I love, I even like it when they do that, especially when they would do that in NXT back in the black and gold, and they would show the guys, you know, walking to the ramp, you know, and yeah. they have the uh, the cage lowered music, the bump 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 bump, you know that that. That music that they play when they lower the steel cage with the hell in a oh, cell. Yes, I know and what you're talking would, about. They would have that playing as the guys walking towards the the steps to go out to the ramp, you know. And it's just, I don't know. It makes it, it makes it feel important, you know what I mean? It has that uh, uh, big fight feel, as they like to say. Um, yeah. That's why I like the. Uh, I love it when they do when they lower the lights and they just put the lights on the ring to do the announcements and championship matches. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. this is, you know, this should, it should be important. This should be a big deal. It's not just, you know, Oh, well they're having a fight for the United States title. No, this is the United States championship that he is defending against, you know, anyway. Yeah. So dusty gets to the ring. Uh, totally tries to wear some headgear. Referee won't allow it. <laughs> Uh, JJ tries to put Vaseline on him. The referee not only will not allow it, but he wipes the Vaseline off of the uh, face of Tully Blanchard. Uh, JJ gets hit by uh, Dusty's elbow, and JJ gets color, which is very important in this match. Uh, Tully does a lot of uh, backpedaling. Uh, good uh, cat-and-mouse start. 
trying to avoid punches to the head. Uh, Dusty gets up. JJ throws Tully the shoe, but that fails. Referee goes down. Tully gets color from the uh, from the elbow, but the referee doesn't see it because he's down. And JJ starts patching him up, putting wiping it off. Now JJ has this is why I said JJ getting color matters is because JJ has that towel that he's been using on his head, so he wipes the blood off of uh, Tully Plancher, and you can't tell because JJ also has color. Um, so JJ patches him up and gives him a roll of quarters. Uh, and then, uh, Dusty hit or Dusty gets hit with the rolling quarters, gets busted open. The ref comes to, and the first thing he sees is blood on Dusty's face. So he declares Tully the winner and new TV title champion. This is, this is the first one. I gave this an A minus. This is just fantastic storytelling as far as it's almost like when we were talking about the Jimmy Valiant, you can't really look at it as a match per se, because it's not much of a match, but it is a great segment and a great story that they tell in this match. So I'm going to start with this. I was really confused as to why you would take, why you would follow a street fight with a first blood match. Mm -hmm. And I think like, what are they going to do to top this? Then I realized it's Dusty Rhodes, Tully Blanchard, J.J. Dillon, and they're doing it in a almost a theatrical match. Yes, it's 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 the character work. It was, you know, from the moment when when you know, I, I, how did J.J. bleed? I think it was with the bionic elbow, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the entire match, Dusty's teasing the bionic elbow the entire time, looking to hit it, looking to you know to get it because you know it's going to work. You know, they've established in this match that if he hits it, someone's going to bleed. Yes, and you know the entire matches is building up to that you know he he hits it once and tully's you know completely you know off his game at that point he's completely um um i think dusty would say discombobulated yes so i mean it was just discombobulated great story they did a great job with this you know with this match they weren't trying to give a you know a uh, five-star classic but they were giving something that was very entertaining Mm-hmm. And they were making it every everything they did was with the idea of trying to win the match, yep. not just to beat up the other guy for the sake of beating him up. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was it was just well executed. The involvement by JJ was great. I mean, he played it perfectly. Oh yeah. And you know, I remember at one point I can't remember I can't remember if I read this or I've actually heard Ric Flair say this, but you know, the reason Ric Flair always looked good when he was colored is because. He had that long, you know, oh yeah, long hair, mm-hmm. and it just the, the the contrast just made it look so amazing. Here, JJ has the same thing, oh, yeah. not the long hair, but the blonde, platinum blonde hair. And it, you know, seeing him in that entire match, not cleaning himself up, just covered him up, you know, a pool of his own blood, it just added to everything. And then to see him still wanting to get involved, trying to protect his, you know, clients. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely an A. It was, I. I couldn't believe it when I watched it. I was thinking to myself, hey, how are they going to top up? I just saw a big bubble. This mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, they're going to have to go all out. Yep. And I don't, think, I don't think their characters, I don't think their wrestling style lends to that. And I was pleasantly surprised by this match. They, did, they went the exact opposite. They did, yeah. the, they did the absolute minimum, but they were so good at the minimum that they did that they completely got it over. And you, yeah, it you was, completely, by the end of this match, you completely forgot that the street fight that it even happened. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, the live audience had a had a 
chance to, you know, they were, I guess I, I would hope they were watching it on TV or something on, on monitors because this was in a different venue. Yeah. But I, I think they had this, they were showing it on the screens above the, above uh, the ring, above the ring between, okay. uh, uh, bangs. Yeah. So, I mean, they still could have, you know, in, in a way they still would have seen that street fight, but yeah. you, you're right. You completely forgot about the street fight, the way this was made. And it was just perfectly executed. Mm-hmm. Dusty. And I never knew Vazel. Like I'm almost, you know, like if I was looking modern day companies, I would almost want to say in a first blood match, run a similar angle. You start bleeding, throw some Vaseline on it. Mm-hmm. That would be. Like, it hasn't been done in about 20, 30 years at this point. So. Well, Triple H says he doesn't like to do blood. So That's I will funny. say there's another thing about this, about this match right here in particular. Not, I mean, in all of them, really. But this is the first match that gets pretty much every match after this has blood in it. But yeah. um, this match is where I noticed that you don't notice the gigging. You don't notice guys cut guys juicing or getting cut or cutting themselves at all. Yeah. Like it literally, it happens so fast, so smooth that you're like, Oh shit, he's bleeding. It's not like in AEW where the guy's down for three minutes and then he comes up and he's got a trickle of blood running down his face. You know what and I mean? And the camera catches everything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Or he's like Moxley in the middle of the ring or Jericho, just pulling out the razor blade and slicing his forehead open and putting it away. Like, yeah. you know, like they, they, they work it into the match and they're so good at it. They've been doing it so long that they just, it's like, boom, it's over two, two, three seconds. Dusty was down for not even 10 seconds and he got a great uh, cut so that when he looked up, so that when uh, Hebner looked up and saw his face, he was like, holy shit, he's bleeding. That's it. That's the match. It's over. You know, like. That's this just it's it that's why that is one of the reasons why I think we I don't like as much blood as AEW was doing because most of the people didn't know how to do it. But I think that's also why people need to learn how to do it because there there are. And I'm sorry not to get too much off of a tangent here, but there are times when. Blood is called for in a match. I'm sorry, there are, especially yeah. blood I, gigs. I hate like, well, even in like a steel cage match, I hate it when oh a guy God. rakes the guy up against the fucking cage and nothing happens, and then there's no fucking blood. Like that's like really like that just doesn't it doesn't compute for me. I mean, so. if it was the old style blue bar cage that Hogan Fort Bundy and that can make sense to me, but these are steel, you know. Um, I don't know what wire wire cages chain link. You're gonna get you're gonna get cut. They are not you know they're jagged, whether they intend to be or not. That's just the nature of these cages. Mm -hmm. And even if they're not particularly jagged, even if the like everything's been smoothed down, it's still just the visual doesn't compute. Like yeah. you want there's certain matches where you should have a little bit of blood. I here and there, don't overdo it. You know, I, they, I would even say it, like you, you run the risk eventually of everybody bleeding so much. Like when everybody uses a ladder in a ladder's match. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the that's the problem with doing all that blood now. 
Yeah, you, you, I think you you I, water I think you gotta reserve for like one match, you know, like one big match. Mm-hmm. But uh, so anyway, yes, that was an A A minus. Um, actually, I think I'm gonna change that to an A. Okay. I'm gonna get rid of the minus. The only problem I had with that match, why didn't and I, and I didn't realize it was Hebner until you told me it was Hebner. Yeah, so I didn't realize he worked. I thought he was always a WWF referee. But beside the point, why didn't Hebner check Blanchard before ringing the bell? Wouldn't you I, want to make sure no one else was bleeding first or bleeding I, as well? All I can say is because that was the finish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, like. I think we gotta do. We gotta. I mean, I guess he just saw Dusty, and he just assumed, "Oh, Dusty's bleeding. He's the first one to bleed. That's it. It's over." See, I feel like Hebner jumped the gun because you had Dylan clean up Blanchard. Mm-hmm. All you needed to do was check Blanchard first, and there was no, there'd be no blood. But instead, he's just ringing the bell as he's walking over. But see, there's also there's something for the fans to talk about, and that's. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's a wrinkle in it that is yeah. acceptable because that allows people to argue about it because they're still going to be like it was bullshit because Tully was bleeding first even though the ref didn't know it. So right. you know, um, but moving on, moving on from that great match to uh, the 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 big scaffold match with uh, the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering versus the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. Um, you can tell while Jim's walking down to the uh, ring that he is either nervous or pissed or a little bit of both just by his facial expression. Um, of course, we get the Road Warrior pop when they come out. LOD climb right up. If I remember correctly, Hawk had either a broken foot or a sprained ankle during this match. So that uh, gives gives Hawk a little bit more credit there. Good job. Um the midnight, of course, are hesitant to go up. All four finally get up. Uh, LOD starts on top, but then they get powder in their eyes. Um, I wrote blind on a scaffold is not really the best idea. <laughs> you know, though, I feel like every scaffold match I've ever seen has done that. Yeah. Like, and I, 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 I will say this. I hate these matches. Mm. I hate how dangerous they are. And I hate just how limited they are. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can do. Even when AJ Styles fought Rhino at on like I want to say the only Elevation X match, there might have been more. I don't. I kind of stopped watching when AJ um, left. Yeah. But they used the powder, and you know they couldn't do much on that on on that scaffold at all. Yeah, it's it's extremely limiting. And then when somebody's blind, so they have to pretend to be blind. But also not walk straight off of the fucking scaffold, yeah. you know. Like, um, Hawk tease is going off. Uh, Bobby gets under on the walk under the walk boards. Uh, LOD gets back on top. Uh, both men, both members of Midnight get color. Dennis goes down or goes to the monkey bars. Bobby goes to the monkey bars. Dennis and Bobby both drop. Um, Cornette gets chased up to the scaffold. Cornette goes under and then drops and blows out both of his ACLs and has to be helped to the back. Uh, I gave this one a C, C plus. I mean, for a scaffold match, it's not bad. Um, But, I mean, that's basically all you can do in a scaffold match. You can't really do, like you said, it's extremely limiting because you're up there. The whole thing's moving. 
you can't like do really like maybe like a suplex you know or maybe a body slam yeah like but even then like one slip one small you know in the wrong direction and you're you know so it's just i i don't like them either i i didn't particularly like this match which is why i gave it a c because it's the best you can do with the scaffold match you know and but because Cornette you, broke, blew out both yeah. of his ACLs. So I feel you know more about Cornette's history than I do. Yeah. So I have to know, did he, what was his feelings on being involved in this match? Because well, I can't imagine he liked it, especially given the outcome well, of the, him blowing out his knees. Well, so. the scaffold matches had been around for, you know, like forever. Um not forever. I think the first scaffold match was in <coughs> like Memphis or something. And it was like, I think it was Dundee versus, uh, I forget who he was up against. It might've been Jimmy Valiant, but anyway, a gorgeous Jimmy Valiant. who was the same as the boogie woogie man, but you know, this was much earlier in his career. Yeah. Um, you know, which I think that one was just like a ladder with a two by 12, <laughs> two ladders with a two by 12 between them, you know, much um, worse. you know, we're basically the guys weren't even standing up. They were basically just sitting on the uh, thing, punching each other till one of them fell off. And it was yeah. only like an eight foot ladder or something, you know, it wasn't, oh, so that wasn't too bad. Yeah. But, um, so they've been around for a while. This one of course was. Cornette didn't realize one how high this scaffold was going to be because this was an unusually high scaffold. And uh, two, well, he got paid extra for going off of the scaffold, which he agreed to. But the whole what was supposed to happen was Bubba was supposed to catch him. Like he was supposed to fall and Bubba was supposed to catch him like a, a damsel in distress or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that Bubba would break his fall. Where was Bubba? Well, Bubba was standing kind of underneath of him, but he wasn't directly underneath. And Jim also, and I hate to say this and I, I would, I would say, I'm sorry, Jim, but I think you would agree with me. Jim was supposed to have almost like a flat black, a flat back bump where he like swung his legs up and let go when his legs were at their highest so that he would fall flat instead of falling. Cause he fell straight down. He fell straight. Yeah. He yeah. was like a pencil dive. Yeah. So that's a little bit on Jim too, because if he had fallen where he would fall, you know, ass first or fucking back first and tucked his chin, Bubba might've been able to get, underneath of him but the way he fell like there was he just came too fucking fast and exactly yeah. that's what that's what Bubba says like you just came too down too fast corny I couldn't get to you <laughs> so uh so yeah that's that's that match and that's really like honestly Jim Cornette Fallen's kind of the highlight of that match or the low yeah, light for him sad. but I mean well, you I know, know. honestly it probably would have been the highlight whether he hurt himself or not mm. I will say this though um I remember a WCW match. I think it was Hogan versus Piper in the worst steel cage setup I've ever seen. It looked like it wanted to be a hell in a cell before that was ever a thing. Yeah. And so basically look where, um, what's that guy's name? The guy who won the 
that ladder match of havoc. Wesley, right? No, it's yeah, not, it's not yeah, there. Wesley. Okay, Wesley. So think about how far Wesley was thrown. Okay. Yeah. The cage was set up giving that much um, distance Jesus. from the ring. So the cage was almost like it was basically a Hell in a Cell cage. Yeah, that's even so, farther than Hell in a Cell because Hell in a Cell is only about maybe four feet from the ring. Okay, so yeah. it, I, I may be over exaggerating it, but it was definitely there was some definite distance. Yes. Anyway. And Savage climbs to the top of said cage. Probably aware of I thought the it was same Hogan and Piper. Where... It was Hogan and Savage? No, it was Hogan and Piper. And Savage comes in because it's the NWO era. So oh, he's going to come in and make an interference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha, I gotcha. Savage dives from the top of that cage. And it's, it's, when you look at the dive, if you ever find the clip, the yeah. cage is, you know, it, it almost needs to be held like a ladder because it is rocking. Yeah. So he jumps off there. Lands on his feet in the ring trying to do a double axe handle. I don't think he gets hurt, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got hurt. And that's the same. That was the same feeling I got when I saw Cornette fall off this. I'm like, how did, how did Savage survive that? Yeah. Let alone, you know, like Cornette. Like I, I, I know he got hurt here. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like though, when I saw that, his knees must be completely like dust at this point. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I never looked into it to see what happened to Savage after that, but I can't imagine him get, doing that move. And being unscathed, yeah. But I, I don't, I don't get these dives. And you know, seeing Cornette do that, who's not a, to my knowledge, a trained wrestler. Like I don't think he ever wrestled. I think he was always a manager. Well, he was a manager, but he and he wasn't a super trained wrestler. But he knew how to take bumps and stuff right. from learning from Bobby and Dennis. And I mean, he would have matches. He had matches in Mid South. He had matches in uh, in uh, Memphis. <clears throat> But you know, yeah, he but, wasn't. You know, it, 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 was, it was a shocking bump, and I don't want to. Like, I actually couldn't. I watched the show twice to make sure I had, had decent notes on this. Yeah. I couldn't watch that match again. Yeah, it was. I, just, it, it was just seeing Cornette like hit, and then seeing him, and then knowing how the rest of the match went before that, it was just not worth it. Yeah, it was I, too. Um, you know, too queasy. <laughs> not good. Now. Here we go. Right now we get into the <clears throat> into the big time. Oh yeah, we're in about an hour and a half in. I'm starting to lose my voice. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Arn and Oli versus uh, the. Oh well, first we get a Great American Bash VTR, which is fine. Then we get the credits for the uh, for the pay per view, which takes a little longer than I thought it would. Um, but then finally, our two main events. In uh, Greensboro, we get Arn and Ole Anderson versus the Rock and Roll Express for the world tag titles in a steel cage. Now, one thing I wanted to say about the steel cage, about Savage coming in and all of that. I'm sick of this. I don't... The whole point of a steel cage match is no one gets out, no one gets in. Like yes. That's the entire point of a steel cage match. That's why the the stipulation was invented. So... I hate the WWF version of a steel cage match where you can win by going over the top or through the door. I think that's bullshit. It should be pinfall or submission only. Or, you know, pinfall or submission. Obviously, the rules still apply, so I guess you could technically get disqualified. But, you know, it it should be pinfall or submission. This whole escape the cage thing is... I think it's stupid because how is that... Like, the the reason you want to steal cage matches because you want to keep the, the cowardly heel from running away from you 
why would you set up a situation where the entire goal of winning the match is for him to run away from you? Yeah. No, I never understood that. And I, it never made sense to me when I was young because I would watch these matches. I'm like, why would they, why would the person who wants revenge? Because that's how I viewed steel cage matches back Mm -hmm. then. It was always a revenge match. Instead of like a so some kind of blood feud, and my thing is, why would you want to leave? Just like if if you're the you know the hero in this, leaving doesn't really end the score, you know, yeah. and and the and the issue it just gives you the win. Yeah, you want the pinfall, you want to you want to beat him that that's. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. To me, the whole the steel cage was just again like you said, no one gets in, no one gets out. It's so that you can have a decisive winner. Because actually, in the uh, in this era, in this era, if you left the steel cage, you were immediately disqualified. You immediately lost the match. Because I remember there was a um, a steel cage match between Dusty and Rick. I think it was, right. and Rick was trying to leave the cage, and they were like, "If he leaves the cage, he loses and forfeits his title." Like. It was, you know what I mean? Like, you weren't allowed to leave the cage. You couldn't, you know. Um, But anyway, back to this one. They're in a steel cage. They're in a steel cage, so the four horsemen can't interfere in the match. Um, I wrote, uh, first thing I wrote was rock and roll pop was louder than the PA system. I think it was louder than the Road Warriors, too. Yeah. That place went batshit fucking crazy when the Rock and Roll Express came out. Um. Let's see. Uh, rock and roll used their speed to gain the advantage early. Orrin did a great job selling for Ricky's punches like that. Um, Robert misses something in the corner, which causes a momentum shift, and they start getting heat on Robert. Anderson's uh, working beautifully together, cutting the ring in half, working Robert's leg. There's a hot tag to Ricky. Ricky makes a comeback but gets cut off. Ricky starts bouncing like a pinball off the cage, which I really like that, man. Ricky, well, we know how great Ricky Morton is. I don't, we don't, we don't need to go through that, I guess, in the middle of the thing. Uh, Ricky gets cut open, but he never stops fighting. That's one of the things I love about this match is Ricky Morton. And here's the thing about the hope spot. doesn't have to be a whole bunch of moves put together. It can just be a couple of punches, just enough to make people think that you're starting to try to make a comeback and then they shut you down. Yeah. Um, which I think is, is something that people don't do enough now. Like, you know what I mean? When, when a guy's getting worked over, it's like, uh, the baby face just kind of goes along with whatever the heels do. And he doesn't try and punch him or elbow him or fight back. He's just like, okay, yeah, you get a suplex. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's a watch Ricky sell with his face, especially after he gets cut, like just this face covered in blood and he's just eyes huge wide in pain. We get a, a false hope spot and more heat that leads to a double KO, which leads to another false hope spot. <coughs> we get a spine buster, which goes to a pin, which leads to Robert getting the save. Uh, lots of hopes, false hope spots going down the, going down towards the finish. Uh, the crowd is on fire for the Rock and Roll Express. Quick roll up, Arn makes the save. Uh, 
uh, Oli, is it Oli? I think it's Oli lifts up uh, Robert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Oli lifts up Robert or lifts up Ricky, who Robert then drop kicks Oli with Ricky in his arms, and they rock and roll ends up getting the win. A plus. This was an amazing, amazing match. Just this was beautiful tag team wrestling. It like, really was. You couldn't have like forget the cage. I mean, they I I feel like in modern wrestling they would have used the cage a lot more as a prop. Yeah. I don't think they use it too much for the in in terms of the overall duration of the match. But they wrestled this perfectly. Mm-hmm. They kept they you know they kept the hot tag from happening to, at the very end. The the finish was unique. I thought I didn't oh, yeah. really see that coming. But I don't know. These this was. I don't know if it was just because Rock and Roll Express are so good. I've never really seen Arn and Oli tag before. Yeah. Prior to this. Yeah. I know they did tag. I just wasn't you know I wasn't familiar with this, so I don't know like how good they really are in you know overall but i just thought this match was great yep and i guess i could see why it main evented that uh, arena it was just it was just really classic tag team wrestling oh yeah i mean there were there's so many good things to point to in this match um like when the andersons are working over either robert or ricky and the way that they just they always they again they literally cut the ring in half they don't let the other opponent get anywhere near their side of the ring and they always have a hand on them when they're making the tag you know what i mean like they never let they never let any separation come between them and the baby face unless the baby face creates it like they're all over them um the uh the work they do on ricky's arm especially when Oli gets that arm bar from the back on him and it looks like his Ricky's arms just going to snap off because Oli's so much bigger than Ricky and Ricky's just down on the ground and he's bleeding and he's laying in his own blood. And the referee's asking him, do you want to, do you want to quit? What do you want to do? And he's no, no, I don't know. You know, it's just, God damn. It's, it's, it is a clinic in tag team wrestling. It's a clinic in selling by Ricky Morton. Uh, and Robert Gibson for that matter, because Robert does a great job selling when they're working his leg. Um, yeah. And it's a great, uh, you know, it's a good job of healing by Ole and Arn because they don't necessarily cheat a whole lot, but they are so just overly vicious, especially when you have somebody so much smaller than you in the uh, in terms of Ricky Morton. Like, you just immediately want to cheer for Ricky anyway, and then you've got Ole, who's, you know has a sour look on his face 90% of the time anyway. And Arn just being absolute bullies to these two. It's just, it's, it's, it, everything falls together and it's absolutely perfect. And the hope spots were, like I said, fantastic. And they just, they happened like just organically. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to give you a hope spot where you do a couple of moves and then I'll take back over. It was just like, he goes to grab Ricky out of the quarter and Ricky just gets a couple of elbows in his ribs and he's down for a second and Ricky punches him in the head, but then he grabs Ricky's hair and throws him to the ring, you know, like it didn't feel scripted, I guess, which a lot of matches anymore do because they are, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, that final thoughts. <laughs> Nothing really other than the fact that I just love the fact that even though they won, 
when they're escaping the cage after the beatdown, they're selling the fact that they were in a cage match. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, um, was it Robert, I think? He yeah. was limping out of there. Like, he was hobbling on one foot. Mm-hmm. And I just think that adds, it. you know, it adds to everything. It really adds to the whole match and to the whole, like, um, you know, what we just witnessed. When you walk away, you know, fine, it it makes me wonder, like, why, what did I just watch? You know, it was it was a show. Yeah. This was a fight. This was a sporting event. This was much, you know, it was it, it was real to me. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just, I, I love those little nuances that where they sell things and they keep selling it throughout the match, not just when it's convenient. And that's, you know, I, I know I've said this probably a million times since we've been doing the podcast together. Yeah. But it's those things that add to the whole show overall, add to the match, and make you know, make it mean something. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, you're, you've got to be on and you've got to be a hundred percent committed to, uh, what happens in the ring and the aftermath of it from the time you go through the curtain to go to the ring to the time you go back through the curtain and end up in the back. Like everything that you do between from curtain to curtain has to make sense because the moment it doesn't, it becomes see-through. You start seeing the fishing line holding up the UFO, so to speak. Uh, so you got to, um, so little things like that matter. And maybe, yeah, maybe they don't matter to the entire audience, but they matter to the people that are paying attention and they matter to, I mean, they mattered to me when I was a kid. That's why I always thought that uh, WCW and the NWA was uh, more real than the WWF because Agreed. It, it, it always looked real. The people seemed real. Like it, these, these seemed like people who really didn't like each other, not people who were just pretending they didn't like each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it is what it is, but so the rock and roll retain moving on to the main event. For the world's title with a nine with a sixty minute time limit, Ric Flair versus Nikita Koloff. Um, Rick's entrance is fantastic. We always, yeah. I mean, you kiss you can't go wrong with Flair's entrance and the blue robe. That's one of my favorites. I think all of them are my favorites. So I think I don't think I've ever seen a Ric Flair robe that was like I don't really like that one. Maybe the you didn't yellow see his one. final match. Oh, that that wasn't even a robe. That was like, that looked like something you bought at a fucking like uh, a Toys R Us. Like, I mean, <laughs> so, seriously, I mean, that, it, that was, it looked it looked horrible. It looked like a hospital gown. It looked like something embroidered. you bought from fucking Spirit Halloween. You know, as yeah. a, like a, like wrestling legend robe. You know, yeah, it's like, it's cos it's it's cosplay of a person cosplaying as Ric Flair. Yeah. It was oh, that was embarrassing. Like I'm pretty sure I've seen that exact robe at Dragon Con several times. <laughs> I, I would not doubt that. Um, so anyway, um, but no, here he's got a proper Ric Flair robe on. Yeah, uh, we get this really cheesy, kind of weird Magnum TA and his mom VTR, like. I, I I mean I know I I love Magnum, but what was that? 
And why is in why why is he in a a music video with his mom talking about filling her box up with love? Yeah, that was weird. That that I I don't I don't get that. I looked online. The only I can come up the only thing that I could find was that may have been around the time when he was in a car accident. Oh yeah, that was after the car accident because this was supposed to be his match. He was supposed to be taking on Ric Flair for the world title at this Starcade. And so he I don't had really know. just don't know had the car accident and uh, was uh, basically paralyzed for on one half of his uh, body for a long, yeah. for a while. Like he was in the hospital for a long time and then was completely out of commission. He never wrestled again. He couldn't. Uh, no. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I get that they're doing a tribute to him and that his mom was super important. Like she was the whole reason he got involved in the the thing with Nikita because Nikita insulted his mom and that's when their blood feud started for their best of seven series. But, and it's cool. I mean, I get the, the whole music video montage thing. Just the song choice was so bad. Like whoever chose that song deserved to be fired. I'm sorry, (laughs) because it was, it made the whole thing like creepy and like, ew, She's got a box it, filled with, uh, you know, somebody fill it with her with love for my mom. What? But, my my only my assumption is they wanted better music, and that was the best they could license. I don't it's, get it's, it with it's, all of the with all of the country artists that that Dusty Rhodes knew. They couldn't find somebody to do something better than that. <laughs> is it possible? I mean, wasn't he just that, talking about getting funky like a monkey with Bruce Springsteen? And yeah, you know, like, come on, come on, Dust. Is it possible they had, like, you know, we're watching on, we're watching this on the cock at this point. Is it possible that they didn't get the license to the actual original music? No. I, I mean, I, I gotta hope that the when it originally aired, it was better music, and someone just screwed up here and, and redubbed it with something that was somewhat similar. Okay, but we'll, yeah, it was, we'll, it was we'll, kind of weird. We'll, we'll go with that one, I guess. Um, it was it was it was a weird tribute. Yes. So Nikita makes his entrance, and of course he's super over. Tommy Young is the referee, the greatest referee in the history of professional wrestling, in my opinion. Um, well, Nikita's all power at the start. Uh, Flair bails to the floor. Uh, no sold. Uh, the chops get no sold. He bails to the floor again. Nikita starts throwing Flair around with these great, those were some fucking massive hip toss yeah. uh, by Nikita. Uh, Flair selling the bear hug like death was fantastic. I love that. Uh, you know what I mean? When he lifted him up in that bear hug, Flair was immediately like, oh, God. Oh, oh yeah. You know? um, one of the best things about Flair is the, uh, um, he could sell as a, as a heel. He could sell yeah. and make you believe that what was going on to him was was real, you know what I mean, and was really hurting. But you still hated him so much you didn't want to cheer for him. Like you were like, "Yeah, you deserve it, you oh, bastard." Yeah. Um, I mean, he even in like the mid nineties, I I hate absolutely hated Ric Flair. Yeah, and you know, when you look at his earlier stuff, I mean, it was he was just. He he could make anybody hate him to like tenth degree. Mm-hmm. He was just so good at pushing people's buttons. 
mm-hmm. and getting you know and eliciting that reaction from the crowd and so full of himself and so like just overly arrogantly cocky but yeah. he backed it up you know what i mean it wasn't like he was because even in this match he doesn't cheat in this match you know what i mean like oh yeah he didn't you know um a lot of matches he didn't really like he well he cheats when he later on but hold on because this is a this is a funny little thing here uh so he's selling the bear hug like death he gets a small opening flair lifts nikita up for a suplex and nikita's dick falls out i don't know if you noticed this i did not now i want to find it where is that in this match <laughs> not that i want to see i just want to see the reaction and how they cover it up um well they don't really cover it up like it's just there Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. The night of the Russian sausage. Like Nikita's just—it falls out. Well, you don't see it fall out till he hits the ground, and Tommy Young sees it and just basically pulls Nikita's tights over it. Like Tommy Young That's... just kind of tucks Nikita's dick back into his tights for him. Um, so Nikita didn't even realize this. That's—I don't think so. That's. Or he was just selling. You know what I mean? Like he couldn't reach down and do that because he's selling. You know. He's not yeah. Chris Jericho. He's not going to tie his pants while he's supposed to be down and completely pain, out. Yeah. And in okay, pain. true. Uh, you know, because he's a professional, unlike somebody who we don't know where his wife was on the night of January sixth. Anyway, well, we know where he was. We know where she was. <laughs> we are, we absolutely know where she was. Um. So anyway, uh, but uh, Nikita no sells, and uh, Flair bails again. Uh, Flair finally starts getting some offense. Uh, Nikita goes over the top rope, but they don't call it a disqualification. That's another thing, you know, you forget about sometimes that the, in the WCW, going over the top rope is a, a disqualification if you send somebody over the top rope. But, of course, Nikita's yeah. own momentum sent him over. Um, you could clothesline him over the top. You just couldn't hip toss him over or yeah. chuck him over. But um, so in uh, – Nikita gets well. No, you couldn't even do that in a huh? uh, in in no, not in the eighties, not at all. Huh. I, I think that they may have they have started playing with the rules a little bit after uh, Turner took over. But no, in the NWA rules, you can't in any way put anyone over the top rope unless either their own momentum takes them over the top rope, or. Uh, yeah, something like that. It's got to be something weird. Like you're holding them up, and somebody hits you, and you accidentally drop them over the top rope. It's you it can't be an intentional thing. Um, let's see, where am I? Uh, Flair finally gets Nikita goes over the top and hits his. If you notice, Nikita when he goes over the top rope, he hits his the back of his leg on the uh, the ring apron and starts yeah. rubbing his leg, and then immediately Flair. Master of the figure four starts working the legs. Um, gets him in the figure four and is using the ropes. Uh, so there he is cheating right there. Um, Nikita reverses it and hawks up. Nikita goes to the outside again and gets bounced off the scaffold and gets some color, not a whole lot. Uh, Nikita starts making a comeback. Flair goes, does the over-the-top corner bump and then goes into the scaffold and gets some color. Neither of these guys got really good color in this match, by the way. Um, Let's see. It goes in the stab. Comes back in, does the flare flop. Uh, Then I forget how it happens, but the referee goes down. Uh, Nikita hits the Russian sickle, but there's no ref there to 
Um, he went down because of the Burr's attempt at the sickle. Oh, okay. Like Blair ducked it. Or I thought that either, was the he second. either ducked it or threw him into it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And then uh, he pushes the ref down a couple of times, and eventually Nikita gets DQ'd. Um, the heels come in and save Flair and get heat on Nikita, but then the baby faces come out and the whole thing ends in chaos with a huge pull apart with the baby face and locker rooms emptied and, uh, just, uh, complete and utter chaos to end Starcade 86. I gave this an A plus too. I thought this was just a fantastic match, uh, especially for Nikita who is, you know, I mean, he's Nikita's a good worker, but Flair really like made Nikita shine in this match. Yeah. What are your so, thoughts? I gave it an A, and I promise I have, I have a story here that ties this all in. It's not, it's not a great story, but it's a story. So, <laughs> I had just started watching Glow, the, T, the the Netflix series. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just finished season one, but one of the things that in one of the episodes. Uh, one of the characters named Debbie, she's she's like a famous actress at the time, but she gets roped into doing glow yeah. and she hates wrestling. But they but one of the I guess I guess her nickname in the show is Legacy Character. Like her name is Legacy. Yeah. Like she's the daughter of a wrestling family. Yeah. She starts explaining how you know wrestling is to be viewed and takes her to the actual show and she learns that it's all about character work and you yeah. need a great you know, a baby face is only as good as the heel she works with. Yep. And vice versa. And vice versa, yeah. So you need these really, you know, larger than life, you know, characters to really feed off of each other. And this is where I tie it back in. That's what you get in a flare. Yeah. You work a program with flare and yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna be all the better for it coming out of it. Or at least in your matches, it's gonna it's gonna translate well. This match really fed off the fact that Flair is getting, you know, thrown around mm-hmm. and, you know, not wanting to face Nikita, walking away, leaving the ring, you know, you know, looking shocked when he gives him chops in the corner and Nikita does nothing, you know, does, you know, just is unfazed by it. The crowd eats that up. And oh, it's yeah. because Flair is so good at, you know, just eliciting a response when he, the way he, the way he emotes is just incredible. He gets that reaction every single time. Like, and it's yeah. just, you know, every time anybody he... who faced him, whether it was Alex Wright or, you know, Brad Armstrong or you know anybody throughout WCW's history, they just look good in a match with Flair. Mm-hmm. And that's what you had here. I'm not taking anything away from Nikita because he's, you know, he's talented. But that's what made this match so, you know, just, you know, uh, locked you into this match because he is just so good of a heel. Yep. He, every time he bails to the floor, the people boo. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, with the way he walks around on the floor, like he's strutting around on the floor, but he's also looks worried and pensive and frustrated. Yeah. And like, what am I going to do with this guy? This, how am I going to fucking deal with this, you know, this monster of a fucking per- of, of a man, you know? And it's just, he, and then when he gets on offense, he's so cocky and he's yeah. so full of himself and he's just woo and just you know and then all of a sudden it turns around because and it turns around face, you know just you gets know, a, gets a little offense in Nikita, and all that 
Yeah. Confidence just goes away. Nikita gets a couple of uh gets a couple of shots in and next thing you know he's backing into the rope saying, No, 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 don't no more, no more. Give me a break, give me a break, back, back him up, back him up, back him up. I'll come out of the ropes, you know? Yeah. Like just he's so good at using those little tricks to elicit the like you said, elicit a reaction from the audience that um that it makes you immediately start cheering for the person that's against him. And he's a great in-ring general. He knows how to put the moves in the match together to have you go over and look really good, you know? like Hands down. He's one of the top. You know, he was like, okay, hip toss me. You know what I mean? And then Nikita, and he was like, do that hip toss again. That looked good. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. he's leading, obviously, Flair's leading this match, you know. Uh, just, I mean, you can't tell he's leading the match at all. It doesn't look like anybody's leading it. It looks like a fight, but uh, obviously, Flair is because, I mean, you don't get in a match with Ric Flair and the other person. <laughs> the other person leads. I think the only time that's ever happened was with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania where Sean led Ric Flair through the match because Sean had it all scripted out what he wanted to do. Yeah. And, he and maybe a Hogan match too, because Hogan liked to script everything out too. Yeah. And you know, Hogan, had to go Hogan over. liked to script things out. I know Savage did. I know Savage was a scripter. Okay. I shouldn't say he likes to script things out. I should say Hogan has his things he wants in a match for himself. Mm-hmm. And he will make sure he gets those in that match. Mr. Mr. Get my shit in. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't work for me, brother. <laughs> it doesn't work for me, brother. Well, sometimes, sometimes you have to say it doesn't work for you too. I'm yeah. not saying that Hogan, I'm not trying to defend Hogan, you know, uh, uh, never wanting to lose or anything like that. But, I, you know, some you have to protect yourself in this business because nobody else is going to do it. Look at yeah. Daniel Bryan. Like, yeah. you know, what you, Brian Danielson went from in AEW, he was like the thing I was tuning in every week to see because he was doing some of the best heel work I've ever seen. Next to uh, the heel work he did in, in WWE, because I still think the Planet's Champion was such an underrated heel run. But anyway, I love that one. I did. I too. thought they were going to do so much more with his with that, with that you know uh, Planet Champion gimmick. Yep. And I was saddened when it. And I even bought that wooden vegan belt. Really? Yeah. I want. I sold it the really bad. I didn't. I, when they when, when they when the angle went basically nowhere in the end, I was like, why do I have this? So I still I want one of those. I think that was a beautiful looking belt. I thought it was great, and, they, and that's what killed me that they couldn't do more with it. Because even losing the Kofi, you can do something with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't just phase out the character. You no, can... What when he lost to Kofi, it should have been like, well, I still have the belt. I don't know what you're talking about. I have my belt. This is my belt. This is the belt. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they could have something with it. They could have run it back and had a ladder match with between Kofi and Daniel Bryan for the, you know, the two belts to unify the disputed championship in Daniel Bryan's mind. Like, you know what I mean? Like they could have done something. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, uh, well, why do that? You know, why, to... why try to make money out of something? Oh yeah. Well, getting back to, well, we see where Daniel Bryan is now. You know, yeah. he's, I literally do not care. Daniel Bryan comes on the television screen. And I'm just like, I don't give a shit. When when he comes on the television screen, only thing that goes to my mind is please don't get hurt. That's oh, it. Well, yeah, especially That's when he only... has a match with Sammy Guevara. Sammy, I don't give a shit about my opponent's Guevara. 
you know, to tie this to, to tie this back to what you said about like the whole, um, you know, we got to protect ourselves and everything. Yes. That's they need to, you know, like Sammy only looks out for himself. You can tell that in his character work and it's just how he carries himself in general. Yeah. And that's I, I mean, that's why you're right. You, you have to be willing to like interject and say, you know, this isn't going to work because, you know, I feel so bad for um, uh, Ruby. Yeah. Who took that drop. I mean, I, I got into it with someone on Twitter saying, well, you know, she fell wrong. She could have tucked in. Not from that height, but let's say she could. Let's say it's a mistake. Do you know how many times Style, AJ Styles has almost hurt somebody with the Styles Clash because they don't know how to take it? There's, I mean, outside of a few that he actually did hurt, there's yeah. been a few where he saved, like Ellsworth. Yeah. It's your job if you can't, if you're doing a move and you see that it's because the other person is not taking it correctly, or there's there's you know an, is, an issue, you got to try to protect your opponent the best you can. You don't be like, oh well, you know, it's up to her. Number no. one rule to in help professional them. wrestling: protect your opponent at all times. Yeah, that's exactly. why when the hangman thing happened. I was like, okay, Moxley's a lot of things. He's a goofball. He's an idiot. He has no idea what professional wrestling really is supposed to look like. Yeah. But he's a super safe fucking oh, yeah. performer. Like, there's nothing dangerous about Moxley as far as injuring someone. I don't know if he's ever injured anybody. I don't think so. And, you know, I, I, I get on his case because that... Um... The paradigm shift where he, where he elevates the uh, dirty deeds mm -hmm. into a fin finisher became nothing more than a butterfly suplex. Mm -hmm. I was making fun of that, but it's you know he's being safe with the move. Yeah, and it still looks good. You know, it doesn't look as impactful. I still think the dirty deeds, the butterfly DDT, is a better. Yeah, I like that better. The paradigm shift is. Eh. Yeah, but you know he's still he he's not he he's not unsafe. No. If anyone is unsafe. You know, in terms of like thinking of just shield members, I would venture to say Seth Rollins is unsafe, but not not Moxley. I no, would he does hardcore that, matches. I mean, I wouldn't even say that Seth is necessarily no, unsafe. I, I, I wouldn't think... say that either. I'm, but I'm just saying, like, if you want to say, if if you had to pick someone in the Shield to be the quote unquote unsafe guy, maybe you go with Rollins. But yeah. I don't even think you go with Rollins. I think you know what he did this thing. I hated, but it was a freak accident. It yeah. really was. Well, I mean, that that the buckle bomb itself, I don't particularly like because it's a hard move to take because you can't really right. see where you're going. You don't know where your impact's going to be. And um, see, that's that's a, that's a yeah, that's a key thing to bring up too because you're to me unsafe means I'm doing a move that everybody can do, like a clothesline, but still killing somebody with it. You know? Oh yeah. That's that's unsafe. Doing a move that is inherently super dangerous that. Resulted in injury because of a freak accident. Well, Sting no. should have never agreed to do the buckle bomb in the first place. He shouldn't have taken yeah. that bump. He shouldn't have said, "Give me a buckle bomb." Well, I mean, if if, if you followed but, Sting's career like I have, there was a time when Jindrak and O'Hare wanted to hip toss him from the outside over the top rope in the ring, and he was all for it. Yeah. Well, and I, mean, I mean, look at the shit he's. Look at New Jack Sting. What everything he's yeah. doing now, he does is dive off of shit. Yeah. So I mean, I mean. Sting does a lot of Sting will go out to try to, you know, get people over and also get a pop from the crowd, which if it's be honest. I yeah. love the guy. He's my favorite wrestler of all time, but he's you know he makes some questionable calls. But yeah, it is what it is. Getting back yeah. to Starcade eighty six, um 
And speaking of safe and protecting your opponent, you don't get any safer in the ring than Ric Flair. <laughs> no, I don't think like, he's ever hurt anybody. I think I think the only person who works safer than Ric Flair is the Miz. <laughs> and you know, the, Miz gets accused of working too safe, but fuck it. Like like I said, he's never injured anybody. He's only injured himself once. Flair's Flair was never injured. Ever. I can't think of any injury. For, I mean, outside of that angle where Kurt Henning threw a cage door under his head, yeah. I can't think of any any real injury Flair's ever suffered. No. Um, in the ring. Yeah. Now, also, uh, another thing about the Nikita Flair match, to bring it back to that. If you've watched the match, Flair doesn't even start sweating to about 20 minutes into the match. Like... If you watch, like, Flair gets sweat on his chest from Nikita, but if you watch yeah. his back and his hair, it doesn't start getting sweaty till close to the end of the match because that's huh. how good Flair's cardio was. Like, yeah. he was just, he's a cardio machine. Like, that's, mm -hmm. you know, when you can't lift weights, you got to figure something else out of what you're going to do, and that's why Flair could do 60-minute broadways five times, five, six days a week. Yeah. You know, uh because he was just, he could go. I don't know how he did it, though, because he'd do that, and then he'd drink all night, and then get up and work out and go do it again the next day. And I'm just like, um, oh. People you know. are built different. That's all I can figure out. Because <laughs> he was a machine. He's still, you know, that's why it pains me to watch him, you know, in his later WWE career. Yeah. Any, or, sorry, anything after the Shawn Michaels WrestleMania match. So his TNA career. Yeah, pretty much. And his managerial career, like that, he was just he was a caricature of his former self. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I never, growing up, I think I mentioned this on one of the earlier podcasts we did. I was never a Ric Flair fan because just because he made me hate him so much. Yeah, I appreciated him when I got older. And you know, now that I, when I look at his classic matches or his you know his his old his older matches when he was younger, it's just like wow, he he could just. He knew how to. He knew how to play with people's emotions. He knew. He knew the game before there was a game. Yeah. You know. He 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 got it. He got it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of other people that get it, but you can tell when someone gets it. Like Dragonoff. Ilya Dragonoff is a perfect example. This guy, Dragonoff, gets it. He yeah. gets what professional wrestling is all about. A hundred percent. You know, Gunther gets it. Uh, I would say Miz gets it. I, you know, Roman gets it. Seth, Seth loves wrestling, but I don't think Seth always a hundred percent gets it. <laughs> I, I can see that. You know, um, but I think Seth's problem is is he loves it a little. He loves it so much that his love of it blinds him to maybe editing a little bit. Of course, he's been a lot better since. The uh, since, since he's been writing pretty much writing his own promos instead yeah. of uh, having to say whatever Vince's comedy writers tell him to say, yeah, he's gotten a lot more serious and believable as a actual person as opposed to a guy on PCP or whatever it was he was doing. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a that's a fair assessment. But um. But yeah, that's it. Um, Sarcade eighty six. Uh, I gave it a B plus overall. I think that's about right. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna give it a B, but I can see a B plus. I'll I'll, I'll join you on that one. Sweet. Yeah, that was uh, 
It was uh, it was pretty good. It was very. There was very... nothing in the show that was bad. The only thing that I thought that could have been better was the opening match. Well, and... the strap match. Oh, the strap. Well, I, I I blocked that from my head. I really <laughs> did. I, I forgot it was there because I, I hate strap matches. I know, I know. But the uh, yeah, the strap match was really that was the only thing that dropped below a C. Everything yeah. else was a C or above. Um, <laughs> so I uh, yeah, that was that was pretty good. I think. Um, I think next week we're going to do um, Survivor Series 2000. Okay. Uh, I've already watched it. I think you're actually going to be pleasantly surprised. There's a couple of really good matches on it. One of them I watched and I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm enjoying this match as much as I am, but this match is really fucking good. I'm not going to tell you which one because, you know, obviously we have listeners that might not want to have that spoiled for them, but... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it, it's very up and down pay-per-view. Um of course uh so next week we'll do uh Survivor Series 2000 and okay. um you can find us on Twitter at back to the ring. You can find uh me at Bob Zevon. You can find Rob at the real Pinoy Rob. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Um, you know, I knew you were going. I knew you were coming to plug that, and I had to go on my Twitter page just to make sure. I got to change that handle. Something easier. Yeah. Um, it's a shame you can't get Rob the lawyer. I know. I, I, you know, it's funny. I originally tried to get something like that, but I don't think I was creative enough, and someone already had it. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't Rob the lawyer, but I'm going to see if that's available now. I know. Uh, I was taken. <laughs> I was so happy when I got back to the ring. I was like, I can't believe nobody has this Twitter handle. Like that that's nobody's nobody I got it. I got it. I'm the first one. Like because I was like, this this there we go. There's there there's some legitimacy right there. So I'm, I'm I've got a creative enough idea, which it, it the title back to the ring isn't entirely my idea. Uh my buddy standing streamer actually came up with it when we were trying to figure out uh, a weekly segment for me to do on his Twitch show. And because uh, I wanted it to be the hammer lock or something like that, something really old school. And he was like, well, why don't you go back to the ring, like back to the future? Like, and then it wor- also works because I want people every time I'm watching something and they've been fighting in the fucking crowd for 20 minutes. I'm like, get back to the fucking ring. <laughs> so. Yeah, I like it. I've always I I I I love the podcast name. So, you know, I had a um, (laughs) a uh, uh, another podcast. This was about a year ago. uh, Back to the ring, the number two, the ring, uh, show up, and uh, I I like emailed them. I was like, I even talked to Stephen P. New about it because I was like, this is my like podcast name. You know what I mean? Like, and so basically you're, you know, using my, my podcast name. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, then That's I, how realized, you and I talked. what was that? That's how you and I became, you know, started talking. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. You got, you, um, you came to me for advice as to what to do with this. <laughs> That's right. I forgot all about that. 
Yeah. And then uh, I thought, that's where I thought you were leaning at first, but it was like, okay, I'm gonna. I completely. Yeah. I'm sorry. I completely forgot that that's that's that, that that's yeah. That that's was our that was our Twitter. first time we actually chatted outside of like uh, just speaking about wrestling, and you know, even back then we were just kind of like, you know, referencing each other's treats. We didn't really engage each other. <laughs> But so. and here you are, here you are, the uh, the 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 cementing co-host, yep, for uh, for our wonderful podcast. That, Almost uh, as if I planned it. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it's nice. It's nice to be able to look forward to doing the podcast again, as opposed to back then, where I was like, oh, I got to do this. <laughs> you know, because I wanted to keep it up, but it was like my co-host was not holding up their end of the uh, of the deal. Yeah, so I I appreciate it to well, have somebody that can also go on a rant. <laughs> and sometimes my rants make sense. Yes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes, yeah. occasionally, you know, you know what they say: a blind blind squirrel gets an acorn every once in a while. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, all right, folks, we're just uh, we're just bullshitting now, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you guys go. Uh, be sure to uh, look for us again next week or the week after. You never know. Sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it takes two. Um, sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Anyway, in the words of the great Tully Blanchard, it's been your pleasure. Good night.